0: Hi everybody, it's Stefan Mullen from Freedom Domain Radio. Hope you're doing well. So the call-in show that we had, great call-in show, had a long chat with a woman who was racked with guilt about cheating on her uh, now ex-husband uh, and the problems in their relationship. How do you know when a relationship is done? What can you do to fix it if you're feeling toxic levels of guilt for having done wrong to someone? was a great conversation. I appreciate her honesty and openness in this area, so I hope you'll check that out. Uh, Number two is a manager at a financial company who's having trouble managing two female employees. And we talk about the degree to which uh, boys and girls grow up with differing levels of criticism, the ability to handle criticism, and uh, provide some, I think, pretty good advice on how to heal and deal with that. Third caller was um, uh, concerned or curious about the degree to which extraterrestrial life, A, could have or should have rights, and B, should we, if we go to Mars and find that there's life on Mars, should we take steps? And how many steps should we steps should we take to protect the life on Mars? Uh, the, the fourth caller, what is an objective methodology that will help to resolve world disputes? And we talk about diversity and multiculturalism and the degree to which incompatible views can be made compatible through reason and the degree to which they're just going to end up butting heads, of course, given the situation around the world and in Europe. A pretty relevant topic. And a very interesting questions. some very practical, some very theoretical. Without further ado, here is The Calling Show.
1: All right, well, first is Michelle. She wrote in and said, at what point is a relationship irreparable, and what are the warning signs to indicate so? Are things like cheating, deceit, abandonment, shaming, and manipulation deal breakers? Background is that I did all this to my ex-husband, and I feel so much regret over everything I put him through. My goal is to understand if my relationship with my ex-husband was and is now irreparable romantic-wise. I think it was repairable, but I didn't focus on him and avoided contact and was very reactive. I continued fantasizing about other guys and trying to get close to them through talking and flirting. After stopping that behavior, not the fantasies, but stopping acting on them, I began to feel the love I had for my husband more. It makes me think of how Stefan says, love is an involuntary response to virtue, but only if you're virtuous. That's from Michelle. Well, hi, Michelle. How are you doing?
2: Hey, Stefan. I'm, I'm doing good. I don't know if you remember me, but I called in. Um, it was for um, like respect Your elders kind of calls like a year ago.
0: Um, I do. I do. I do. <laughs> I'm going to cool. assume that your husband is not older than you. Otherwise, this behavior might fall <laughs> into that category.
2: <laughs> no, um, he's younger, actually. Or he was. I mean, he's my ex now. So, yeah.
0: How long have you? So give me give me the brief timeline um,
2: okay.
0: uh, of when and you met ages and stuff. And, yeah. Well, you don't have okay. to give me ages. Uh, I've got your picture. But
2: um, oh, OK. Uh, we, uh,
0: just, just you know, when you met and, and how long you dated and, and how long you were married and what happened.
2: Sure. Okay. Uh, we met when I was in, t- uh, when we were in ninth grade together, um, we were friends for like a year, like a year on and off. And then we started dating after we became, uh, like best friends at the time. Um, and then, uh, we, that, so that was 2009 when we got to ne- together. And then 2012 is when we got married, um, end of 2012. Um, and then we initiated the divorce, uh, two months ago. I hate how I can't just say we got divorced, but we initiated it.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a long process, right? Yeah. Now when you were, so how long were you dating before you got engaged?
2: Um, so 2009 to 2012, three years.
0: Okay, and were you faithful to him during the dating period? No. Was it a monogamous relationship ostensibly? I mean, had you guys agreed to keep it open loosey-goosey, or was it mostly... No, it was not
2: monotonous, sorry, monogamous.
0: I know. For some people, those two words are the same. I would like a monotony wood table, please. But um, (laughs) Yeah. So you um, were unfaithful to him, and did he know that you were unfaithful to him before you got married?
2: Yes. Um, it was, uh, so just some background, um, we got together, um, and then I think a year, a year into our relationship, um, I had, um, like made out with his two best friends. So that, that was the cheating. Um, and he I'm f- sorry,
0: I just, I lost my earphone for a sec there, oh, no, not necessarily did. in shock just from stretching. Oh. So <laughs> can you just give go of that last bit again?
2: Um, uh yeah so we were together for like a year uh we had like a long distance relationship for like a year and then he came back to the same school um and so after that uh i had um, made out with his best friend and then um i think like 2 months later i made out with another best friend of his but he knew about those um and the first one Like we had broken up for a week, but then we got back together, and uh, it was like, okay, we're gonna work on this, um, we're gonna be like together no matter what, so let's work on it. And yeah, that was it, yeah.
0: Okay, just in a bit of a bro code moment here, uh, guys, (laughs) if, if your best friend is willing to make out with your fiance or your girlfriend he may not be the very top tier of best friends that you have. Uh, like, if this is the best you can do, hey, your girlfriend wants to kiss me. I'm all over that. Um, but,
2: uh, yeah. yeah.
0: So that's not great. So he wasn't surrounded by the very best quality or highest quality people at the time either, right? Mm-mm. No. no. Right. Right. And um, what was your level of sexual attraction to him through this period that you were flirting with other men?
2: Um, I was, a, well, I mean, I was attracted to him, um, sexually. He's a very attractive person, like physically, uh, like looks wise. Um, and, uh, uh, don't mean to like distinguish. He's, a um, very good person overall. It was just at the time I felt, um, like mm. some tension with him. And I didn't, yeah. Sorry, what's going on? Are you okay?
0: No, I'm fine. I'm sorry. I I need (laughs) a little robot drone forehead massager, like temple massager, and so on. And look, I I appreciate that you say that he's a good person, but good people don't tend to marry women who make out with their best friends.
2: Huh, okay.
0: Like, so he's, let's just say he's got some issues, right? And and to be fair, like, because I, I can hear the collective windstorm of frustrated male rage rolling across the free domain radio landscape as we speak. It's like a storm on Mars that pushes over a spaceship. And, um, you know, for, for those who don't know, uh, Michelle, we don't have to go into the details uh, if you don't want to, but she has an adverse childhood experience score of 10. That would be two fives. That's the maximum bad childhood you can have and not be dead so i just really wanted to be clear about that uh coming up front uh, that uh there really wasn't anything bad that could have happened to you as a kid that didn't happen is that fair to say
2: yeah i mean uh well no i mean there's i, I didn't experience like everything that could go wrong
0: well, it's true. Asteroids didn't slam into the house, but those aren't actually captured. <laughs> yeah. The adversary. I wasn't. Of the
2: yeah, I wasn't like strapped down and tortured. Um, but I. Right. The main thing I was really neglected, and when um there was contact, uh, it was really negative and shaming. So, um, I've been processing that, uh, for in therapy for the past year. Um, just the parts of myself that are very uh, enveloped in shame, and yeah.
0: Right. Now, I don't obviously want to probe about anything you're not comfortable talking about. The decision is yours to make. Oh, i Yeah, given that we're talking about sexual dysfunction to some degree or lack of boundaries in adult relationships, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about sexual dysfunctions that occurred in your childhood.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, and just so you know, I'm, I'm open and talking about it. Um, I find this, uh, my go- I mean, part of this is to heal and to process and to grow and learn. So I don't mind being open. Um, But in terms of sexual dysfunction, when, uh, just a brief summary. um, So my earliest memories when I was a kid, I remember being shown by the adults in my family, like really, a really violent, horrible rape movie um, of a woman just being raped. And it was very graphic. And I was like three or five. Um, I've also, uh, I remember being in the same bed as my mom and my dad and seeing them have sex. Um, it's just the top part, but still it gave me like the imagination. Um, also my uh, cousin who is two years older than me, she's a girl. Um, she had like, would started touching me and stuff. And so we did that as kids for like a couple years um, when I was like seven. Um, and then Probably the most traumatic thing, though, um, was uh, when I, right before seventh grade, and I kind of attribute, I'm not 100% sure, but tribute this uh, incident leading to, like, severe depression that I had, like, afterwards, starting in seventh grade, um, but my uncle had, um, he, he had touched me prior to this, like, he touched my leg, but uh, for this day, he... Um, two incidents Uh, one he had come down to my room in the morning and I was sleeping and he just started like fondling my breast uh, and kissing my neck Um, and I remember running away um, and like no one was uh, my grandma was home but actually I can't I I honestly don't remember now actually Um, but there was another incident where uh, he was picking up his son who we were babysitting he's like four years older to younger than me, so my little cousin. Um, and uh, he had, when he was saying goodbye, he like, put his mouth on mine, and he, like, sucked all the spit out. And I was, like, appalled and outraged, and I said, what are you doing? And he was, like, and he just gave me this really, um, like, this look like, well, I didn't do anything, is what he said in Chinese. Um, and that was traumatic, because I remember telling my mom that night, like, crying to her. And asking if she could call the cops and told her what happened. And uh, her response was, um, why do you always do that? And she was literally screaming, like, why do you want to call the cops? Why do you always want to call the cops? Um, And she says always because I would called the cops once and my brother. uh, Yeah. So those are the sexual, the most prominent.
0: Wow. And I'm sorry to hear about all of that. I mean, it wasn't anywhere in the ballpark, but you know, for the for right. those who, uh, I I, I, st- I stayed at a friend's place when I was like five or six, and um, the kids were upstairs and they watched a uh, a vampire movie, and I I still remember just how graphic it was. And this one, a little black and white television and all that. I still remember them pounding the s- the stake into the vampire's heart, and the vampire spewing up this sort of gray viscous blood and stuff, and and I can't imagine mm-hmm. seeing graphic sexual rape um, uh, at that age I mean it, I can't even watch that stuff as an adult let alone uh, yeah. as a little kid so I just am really sorry about all yeah. of
3: that Yeah,
2: thanks that was no, nah, that definitely stuck in my mind it's always been kind of just like whoa what is that weird memory that I have you know um, but yeah it's shocking
0: and your ex-husband's childhood dare I poke a stick in that I'm sure hornet's nest (laughs)
2: um right it's a totally different family dynamic um but are you wondering specifically about the sexual any sexual stuff
0: well not necessarily because he would be on the receiving end of sexual dysfunction coming out of your life I'm just curious about his childhood as a whole
2: okay um well um uh totally you know understand that I'm not good, uh not I may not say everything about it um not cuz no. I don't want to but not just cuz it's hard to summarize a childhood <laughs> but right. um the main things I noticed was um uh well what he told me was for the first 5 or 6 years of his life his mom um stayed at home and was with him a lot she was very touching and affectionate um Really like building and like validating, you know, talking very different than from what I'd had. But then, um, him, uh, his mom and his dad got divorced. Um, and so they were separated. And that's kind of when, uh,
0: I'm sorry, how old was he when that happened?
2: Seven, I believe, seven or eight.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah. And they got separated. Um, and he's the oldest child. He has two younger brothers and, apparently he was like in the middle of them um, before they were getting divorced. Um, And he's kind of, he's kind of had always been like on one side or the other, unable to um, see both, you know, for what they were, but kind of like either one's good or one's bad. And I think that was influenced because his parents uh, would do that to him you know, pull him aside and say, your mom's like this, or pull him aside and say, your, your dad's like this, um, and kind of pin him against the other parent. Um, and uh, he was also, like, his dad had been um, really um, uh, abusive, um, sometimes partly physically, but the main thing was, um, he would tell me before him and his mom got uh, divorced, um, his dad would lock him in a room with him, just him and his dad, and have like long conversations about like Mormonism and other things, uh, trying to get my ex to accept it. And if my ex didn't want to, his dad would, um, no matter what, not let him go or threaten to take his stuff. So it was very psychologically abusing, I think. Um, yeah. And, like, really sophisticated, too, compared to what I had. It was more, like, obviously dysfunctional, you know, the violence and the stuff. Um, On his side, it was very hidden because they could present to others that they're fine and they're very smart and, you know, successful. But uh, with him, it was very controlling and um, dominating, uh, but in an intellectual way, if that makes sense.
0: Um, It does. Yeah, it does.
2: Yeah.
0: Do you know, I'm just asking an obvious question based upon your initial question, um do, do you know if Michelle his parents had any affairs that led to the breakup or or was that involved in, in it at all?
2: Oh, um mm, Um I don't so I don't think she his mom ever had an affair, but remember uh so, recalling something about her wanting to like talk to other other men but I'm not sure. I'm not sure.
0: All right. And and they may not they may not reveal it. We don't want to we don't want to imagine stuff to fulfill a thesis but it's possible we yeah, don't know any. I don't know. Denial of it. Okay.
2: Yeah.
0: And then um so yeah, he had a bit of a claustrophobic encase case you with Jesus kind of dad. And, uh, then what happened then as he got older in his childhood, uh, with this fractious family situation?
2: Um, with him, um, I think, uh, for one, I think they had, so after his parents got divorced and here's where it gets fuzzy. So, um, I might be like mixing years up, but, um, there was one point where his, Mom, and this was after they're separated, put him on uh, depression medication um, for, I think he was mm, 14 when he was put on depression medication. Um, And his lifestyle was kind of moving from school to school. So he'd been, he'd moved from, um, like, moved through three or four different schools by the time I met him in high school. And actually the reason we had a long-term relationship is because his dad had, um, he was kicked out of his house. So he had to move uh, really far away to live with actually the best friend I I had first cheated on him with.
0: Um, Wait, sorry, your your boyfriend when he was in high school was kicked out of the house?
2: Yeah, he was kicked out of his, his, yeah, his, uh, both of his parents' house. Um,
0: so, so he was kicked out of his mom's, went to live with his dad and then his dad kicked him out too.
2: Uh, no, he was at his mom's and then they, both his mom and his dad kicked him out of their houses together because, um, his younger brother who has very slight VCFS, um, they got into, and he's like two years younger than us. Uh, uh, VCFS, uh, velocardiofacial Syndrome. It's, um, I believe it's like a form of, Down syndrome, but he had it very mild. Yeah. Um, uh, So that was, and he's like two years younger, but they got into a fight um, or not really a fight, like an argument, but um, uh, my ex or my ex-husband at the time had hit him, like punched him. And then that's what started it. Um, And so he was kicked out and forced to go uh, live really like an hour away with his friend and it's his friend that that friend was the best friend I'd first cheated on him with, um, made out with. So, yeah.
0: And you said that you were friends with him before you got together as boyfriend, girlfriend.
2: Yeah, that's right. We were friends for a while, um, before we started dating and I knew a little bit about his family situation. He wasn't kicked out yet. He was kicked out after we started dating. Um, like three months after we started dating. So, yeah. Right.
0: Right. Um, and you said that he was uh, very physically attractive.
2: Yeah, it was, except um, he is much larger. He was like a little fatter than me. And, um, like he has a very gorgeous face, but I wasn't attracted to his body, uh, Sometimes I was, but it was a lot bigger than mine.
0: <laughs> Wait, but I mean, <laughs> forgive me for the stereotype, but I don't uh, associate being overweight with Chinese, particularly Chinese uh, women. As were you overweight as a teenager?
2: No, I'm. I've always been really thin.
0: Yeah, Chinese people—they can't gain weight. You can fire buckets of lard down their gullet,
2: <laughs> just oozes out their armpits <laughs>
0: or something. You can't. There's some genetic thing where it's just it's hard for it Chinese people be. to. Yeah.
2: Yeah. To I weight. feel like when I'm at 30, I'll just blow up when my metabolism. No,
0: nah, that doesn't happen but. either. Don't worry. <laughs> well, good. Genetically, good. you're shielded <laughs> as far as I understand it, right? But
2: Okay. Okay.
0: So, so, um, and who initiated the romance between you?
2: It was me. I, I pursued him. I mean, he was, um, I was the first one to, like, we were friends and we were talking and, you know, becoming closer as best friends. And I was, I was the one who first started saying, I really like you. And um, he was like, you know, I really care about you, too. Um, and I like you, but I want to date these other girls before you, these two other girls. And I still want to be friends with you because I know if we get together, we're just going to be together forever. So Wait a
0: minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> you got friend zoned? <laughs> I did. <laughs> you yeah. did? You you were like kept on deck? The guy is like, uh, wow, that's, that's kind of studly. So he's like, "Okay, (laughs) you'll be the main course, but I'm going to go get a couple of what wasp appetizers, a little bee salad. Okay, Yeah.
2: I I remember my friends at the time being like, really? Like, that's kind of shitty. And I was like, "Nah, I get it. Like,
0: what do you what do you get?
2: Like, oh, like I got I thought I got his reasoning like, oh, he actually really likes me. He cares about me more than those girls. And um, it makes sense. We're super young and in high school. So it. It makes sense oh. that if we got together, we'd be together forever, so I get that he wants to date these two other girls first.
0: <laughs> Was he a virgin before he went to go and date these two other girls?
2: Yeah, he uh, we were each other's first. So,
0: yeah. Wait, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on.
2: <laughs> oh, sorry.
0: So, he went to go and date these two other girls, but he didn't have sex with them. No. He had sex then with you afterwards.
2: Uh, after. After we started dating, is when we had sex. Like,
0: and he was a virgin before you guys started yeah. dating. Is that right?
2: Okay. Yeah, that's right. Although, all right. Like the oral, or I mean the actual uh, virgin stuff. You did the sex, some sexual stuff, but yeah.
0: Yeah, you you Clintoned it up. I understand. <laughs> that's been that's been the norm ever since those dark uh, days in the nineties. Okay.
2: Yeah, I read it's that. It's not
0: sex. The president said so.
2: Ah, <laughs> oh, that's um, weird. Yeah.
0: And all the feminists Definitely. agree with him, so uh, <laughs> right. all right, um so I mean, it's interesting that he said he basically wanted to go and date two other girls, and then you ended up cheating on him with two boys.
2: uh yeah um well so so there was those two guys, right, but we we stayed together, and then. Uh, like, I still liked other guys, and the next, there were two more incidents after that. I, um, another time, I didn't cheat on him, but I went to this guy's house, like, every night, and had slept in the same bed. Um, We didn't do anything, but that's, (laughs) we really didn't.
0: But no, no, no. I, I, I'm I, fine that you didn't do anything like in oh. terms of what could get you pregnant or oh. make your hair look funny. But what I'm saying is that if you're going over to it, like if you're married or you're dating a guy and you're in a yeah. monogamous relationship, you're hanging around with another guy and just yes. sleeping in his bed.
3: No, then what exactly. you're
0: having is yeah. you're having proximity sex, which is sex that you can fantasize about later, sex you can masturbate to. It's it's proximity sex. Um, yeah, no, and I totally agree. Is, that, is that a fair way to
4: put it?
2: Yeah, no, I completely agree. I like this person, too. So I'm totally legitimate that he um, that he found it wrong. And I find it wrong. I'm just I was just being clear.
0: Well, we'll you know, we'll get into the moralizing later. I don't want to sort of I mean, I I, I think you get all of that. So I don't want to get into the, you know, naughty girl stuff. Right. Um, So we'll 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 talk about that in a bit. And and I don't think it's anything that would be too surprising for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when your then boyfriend found out that you had made out with his friends what was uh, what what happened from there
2: okay so um so the first best friend that i had made out with um that uh what happened was he actually didn't know about it like i didn't tell him for a long time i didn't tell him for like 6 months and he um, then I had, um, uh, made out with his second best friend. He only had two at the time. So his second best friend and his second best friend had told, um, my,
0: well, can we call him Bob? Cause uh, you know, the guy, these guys and all that.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, they're kind of like a combine harvester on a penis farm at this point. Right. So it's kind of God. hard to, let's just call him Bob. Okay. Sure. <laughs> all right. So, so, so you're the best friend, did he, he tell Bob that he made out with you? Yeah. Okay. And, um, what happened then?
2: Um, then my ex called me and, um, he was like, Hey, I heard something happened with Bob. Uh, can you tell me about it and stuff like that? Or no, actually, sorry. Before that he was trying to get me to just admit it by just saying, is there anything you want to tell me? And I wouldn't tell him. So then eventually he revealed that, um, uh, that his best friend told him that I made out with Bob. And so he, uh, so during that conversation, I was like super defensive and I was like, whatever, stop talking about it. It was nothing. Leave it alone. And I was very mean, um, just trying to shut him down.
0: You acted as the hurt party here, right? Like, so you'd made out with his best friend and you'd lied to him about it when he asked you. Uh, more directly but then when he said i have proof you got angry at him as if you were the wounded party is that right
2: yep exactly okay okay yeah
0: and how did he respond to that oh you getting aggressive when caught cheating on him
2: oh um angry and um he's not actually... angry enough but all right <laughs> uh, you mean like angry enough to leave i see but he was definitely yeah, yeah but he was definitely angry and you know, outraged that I would act that way, and he was open about that and honest. Like, hey, this is ridiculous that you are, um, you know, telling me. He he's always talked me through it. Um, like, even though he stayed, he's always been upfront with how he feels about me. Um, and so, I remember. Wait, 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 hang on. Oh, what
0: does that mean? sorry. He stays and he's upfront about how he feels about you. But what does that mean when he? What does he? What does he feel about you?
2: Oh, that he feels a lot of resent towards me, but he still cares about me and, and wants it to work out. But he feels a lot of resent and doesn't trust me. And it's going to take a long time to rebuild trust. That's kind of what I mean. Like he was upfront with what his position was. Um,
0: and what did you do to attempt to rebuild trust after you got angry at him for catching you cheating on him?
2: On, I, didn't, I didn't do... Just wanted I'm to. Avoid not. It. You were angry, right? Yeah, no, I didn't. And at the end of that um that same phone call, he said uh he said, Well, I'm really angry. Is it okay if I s like I slap you? Um What? I, yeah. Um so I was like, what? what yeah. He was like, Well, I'm just really angry. I don't know how to handle like you you uh cheat on me with my best friend. Uh like how, you know, and so um, I had actually driven over there that night and I went into the door and he slapped me immediately, uh, across my face or no, wait, he, he asked one more time if it's okay. And I said, yes. And then he slapped me. And then, um, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you slapped me. So even though I said he could, I didn't like that he did.
0: <laughs> you guys are sort of into a bit of the drama here, right?
2: <laughs> it. Was
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean that's 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 a lot of shocked and appalled. I mean that's like, I don't mean to diminish it because obviously it's very painful and all that, but it's kind of soapy, like soap opera-y. Like, mm-hmm. I I want to slap you. Is it alright if I slap you? Yes. Whack! I can't believe you slap. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's it's um, it, it arises obviously out of you know childhood trauma and and history of lack of connection and so on. Yeah. But um.
2: Yeah. That. Yeah. No, I agree. It was very, um, emotional and like both of us were like, um, just yelling and expressing our emotions, like not in a vulnerable way, kind of attacking. Um, but after he slapped me, he said, Oh my God, I don't know what to do. I'm sorry for doing that. And uh, the rest of the night was really bad because I was like, okay, just, just leave. I don't, you shouldn't be with me. And then he was like, I don't know what to do. And at one point he had um kind of thrown himself down the stairs. Uh not not what, like now? he he kinda like thrown threw himself down the stairs. Uh not that he like I don't know how to explain it, like he kinda rolled down the it, stairs. It doesn't a matter.
0: It it, it doesn't <laughs> matter because there's no way you can explain it that gets my <laughs> jaw off the floor okay Sorry. so yeah. he threw himself down Sorry. the sta- so he hit you you got outraged you're screaming at each other which is not the same as expressing your emotions he's throwing himself down the stairs and yeah. this is before you get married yep okay did you end up having like hot makeup sex is that like did this all lead up like this grim horrible foreplay I mean just, or did you like no. what happened at the, no. um, at the end of this night
2: at the end of this night oh man I think I think we decided, like, okay, we need to take a break. And so, like, I just went home. I, I'm sorry, it's kind of fuzzy. Um, no, that's all right. So, it's
0: a while ago, right? I get it.
2: I yeah. Okay. But, yeah, but, like, we took a break for a week. But I remember during that week, he would call or I would call and be like, hey, I'm sorry. And we still hung out. Yeah. Tried. Wait,
0: you took a break for a week by calling oh, each other sorry. and hanging out?
2: I'm so sorry. I mean, um. Uh, it wasn't like a break. Like we weren't saying let's take a break. It was like, let's break up. But then we kept hanging out as friends. And then during that time hanging out, we're like, why not? Let's get back together. I
0: think, I think I'm going to just make one tiny request, Michelle, in this conversation.
2: Sure. Can
0: you please stop using the word friends for things that have nothing to do with friendship? Right. Yeah. Hey, I just made out with your two best friends. You slapped me. I'm outraged. You threw yourself down the stairs. But we're going to hang out this week like friends. No. That is not a friend situation. Just as it's not a friend situation when you have your guy pals making out with your girlfriend, right? It's not friendship, right? Codependence, neediness, fusion, whatever you want to call it, but it's that's not
2: codependence. Friendship. Exactly. No, but, I agree okay. and thanks. Got to use no the right words in philosophy. I, I think
0: so. Yeah, because <laughs> you know I have friends, and um, there's been a you know now that I think Dwight, about it, a disturbing yeah. absence of throwing anybody downstairs. So yeah. all right, yeah, okay. Sure. So then you, you're hanging out as friends, and then does lust take over? I mean, what what get you got what got you guys back together? Right, you 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 went right to the edge of the volcano, and then you're like, yeah, let's go in. Oh, it's
2: like, I think it was like hanging out together, it just felt good to be in each other's company and we joke around. So it wasn't like friends. I totally agree with you. It was just like, we get along like by making jokes and talking about stuff. So.
0: And that of course comes from having to have a weird kind of intimacy with very difficult family members growing up, right? It's just something you're used to, right? This horrible trauma happens, and then you just kind of click into nothing happened mode, which I assume comes yes. out of the thing.
2: Uh, yeah, exactly. Kind of just disengage from what, what, what has happened prior in that particular relationship with that person.
0: Um, and because as a child, you bonded with trauma, which is a very complicated and contradictory but necessary for survival thing to do. You bonded with trauma. Trauma can't break a bond because you, you spent your childhood bonding with right. trauma. And so yes. trauma can't break that bond. It actually just kind of makes it stronger in a horrible way, right?
2: Yeah, um, that's really interesting you pointed that out because um, I've kind of noticed within myself that uh, not so much, not anymore because I've been working on it um, for like the past year. I've been in therapy and still working on it. I don't think I'll ever get there. But um, one thing I noticed within myself was I felt oddly uh, just comforted when things were distress when there was a problem um yeah going on like you know the yeah so it's weird
0: well managing stress and trauma and dysfunction was your skill set as a child And we're drawn to that which we're good at, right? Which is why I'm not a ballet dancer, but kind of do this because I'm better (laughs) at this than ballet. So we're drawn to that which we're good at. And if your childhood is spent managing and uh, feelings of of, um, anxiety and and horror and and dissociation and aggression and hostility and and dependence and all that, then if you let that go, you're letting go of something that you're really good at and trying Um, to survive in a world With no skill sets that that make sense to you. In other words, functional relationships, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. And it's it's interesting how, you know, you, uh, like, I felt this way, but wasn't consciously aware of it. It's just interesting. Like, we're all like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, so how long after all of this did you guys get uh, married?
2: So, okay, so 2009... Um so we were together like a year and then I cheated on him his two best friends and then 2012 is when we got uh, end of 2012 is when we got uh, married
0: Now can I ask you a question? Yeah. You asked rhetorically. All right. Um <laughs> I hate to put myself in Bob's shoes Michelle but let me ask you this. Um so from 09 to 2012 Mm -hmm. You were with this guy. Is it, and and, uh, you've talked about three unfaithful incidents so far. Mm -hmm. One uh, with the best friend, one with the other best friend, and one with the guy you kind of did the cuddle non-sex stuff with.
2: Right,
0: yeah. Was that the only three that occurred during those uh, three or four-year period?
2: Yeah, it was. But I had liked, um, so actually happened with guys. Yeah, those were the three before we got married. Um, and I cheated him on and him like two months after not not cheat on him, but the emotional cheating, um, like talking with a new guy two months after we got married. Um, uh oh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um,
0: I, I was not. you said two months after you got married. Oh, so the two the two best friends were before you got married. And the cuddle guy was what, after was, you got married?
2: No, before we got married, too. Um, okay, like, so those
0: are the three. Yeah. And then you you said there was something two months after you got married?
2: Yeah, exactly. Then there was a guy that I started talking to and hanging out with um, two months after we got married. Yeah.
0: And did this guy know you were married?
2: Yeah, he did. He, he knew. I actually met him through my ex. And it was uh, work. Coworker. and did he
0: know that um that you were two months married
2: uh maybe not specifically but um
0: but new did... married, right
2: yeah i mean actually i'm not i'm not sure um probably i think he knew that we we're just gotten married right yeah so
0: he's flirting away with a newlywed right
2: yeah but uh well i do want to say that i I more initiated it. Like I talked to him. No, no,
0: no, no, no. Come on, come on. (laughs) I I get that. But what I'm pointing out (laughs) is he's a scumbag. Oh yes.
2: Okay. Right. And
0: I'm, you know, you were flirting with him and so on, but and I don't know the world that the world that you live in. Right. I mean, Hey, he's my best friend, but I'm going to make out with his girlfriend, you know, Hey, he's in a relationship, but this woman is going to sleep in my bed and bloody, bloody, blah. And, hey, she's a newlywed, so I'm going to start flirting with her and hanging out with her a lot. It's like, these guys are scumbags.
2: Oh, I see where you're going with it. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, I was, I liked all the, so the four guys, oh yeah, I remember what my point was. So even though those are the four guys I did stuff with, like actually was talking to them and stuff, there were other guys I just fantasized about, like I saw them around and thought they just looked cool or something. And I fantasize about them. But each of those guys like that, I either fantasize about or did something with. Um, I was like a scumbag. Like, I don't mean to just put that label, but very shallow. No, no um,
0: I'm fine with that label. Yeah. I'm fine with that label. <laughs> guys out there do not flirt with newlyweds. There's another guy involved. It shows such a crippling insecurity and lack of empathy to mm-hmm. you or to your, your husband, right? And I, I've said this before, that um, I picked up a woman in a gym. And we met for a coffee and it was a nice chat. And halfway through coffee, she mentions her husband. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on. Mm-hmm. Hey, hold the phone, hold the phone, back up a little. I think we hit something on the road. I want to circle back and see what we hit. <laughs> husband now. And she's like, yeah, you know, but... But we don't really have sex anymore, and we ha uh, ha uh, It's like
2: I, I think I remember. Okay, bye bye. <laughs> yeah. No sex,
0: because you are married, and I'm not. You know. I know. And she's like, "Oh, we could just, just been
2: open about it from the get go. That, yeah.
0: Well, you, of course, yeah. I mean, but
2: yeah, of course, you wear a
0: ring. You know, right. I mean, um, and and you know, she's like, "Well, we could we could just have sex, you and I," and I'm like, "No, because yeah. if I really like you." That makes the sex good, but that makes my heart broken because you're married. And yeah, if I don't really exactly. like you, then the sex is going to be bad, and I've just, you know, helped you cheat on your husband. Ew, uh,
2: yuck! yeah. You know,
0: and and you know, plus what if your husband is like six foot four? Anyway, who knows? Right. So um, just bad, bad scene all the Yeah.
2: I, oh, I just just to be fair, because I can't help it, but like I. Because I have, like, the issue of, like, all-or-none thinking, I think, from my childhood. Like, someone's either all good or all bad or act in, like, you know, just a all-or-nothing fashion. But um, to be fair, I don't think the guys were just scumbags, or maybe we could talk about it more. I'm sure they were, like, dysfunctional in some way. Like, I'm sure they had, like, we are the way we are for reasons to an extent,
0: no, I, I get that, and I'm obviously oh, okay. it's more complex <laughs> than two syllables. I get all of that. <laughs> okay, sorry. But I need I need you to see the yeah. glaring lack of quality in these guys. Yeah. And the reason that I need you to see that, Michelle, is if you see the scumbaggery that floats around these guys, it may not be their center but it's the biggest planet orbiting them <laughs> is the scumbaggery, <laughs> then what will happen is it takes some of the sexiness out of it, some of the flirtiness out of it. Like I'm sure, I mean, you're a very attractive woman. I'm sure these guys were all good looking and, and the, you know, charismatic and, you know, all of that. But if you get the scumbaggery, then it's no longer, like it takes the fun out of things. It takes the flirtiness and the sexiness out of it to realize that these are just low quality Guys, very low quality guys who lack empathy, who are kind of predatory, uh, who who are thinking with their dicks if they're even thinking at all. And they are allowing flirtation with a married woman. And that is greedy, that is selfish, that is destructive. That's what I mean. Like, if you look beyond the pretty face or the ab or whatever it is, the abs, whatever, like to recognize that these are low rent people that you're, you know, you're hurling your vagina at a canyon of male crap. yeah, You know, this is a grand canyon filled with trashy penises that you're circling around. It takes some of the sexiness and excitement out of it, if that makes sense?
2: No, definitely. It definitely does. Um, I've been learning a lot lately. And, right. Um, it, yeah, it, I could go into that. But I remember my ex actually like, one of the conversations we had, we've had multiple about like staying together and what we need to do to fix it and stuff like that. Um, but one conversation I remember w- was he was telling me like, it, like, uh, particularly that guy who we were coworkers with, um, the guy I hung out with after two months after we got married, um, he was telling me like, why do you like that guy? He's so like, he, he, all he talks about is sex with other girls and brags to us and, you know, me and his other friends that, okay, sorry, quote, friends, <laughs> me and his other dudes, I guess, about girls that he had sex with. So why do you like this guy? And I remember being like, like acknowledging all of that, acknowledging that he wasn't, um, you know, emotionally receptive, like my ex was i uh, didn't talk to me about my feelings like my ex was I recognized it was all attraction it was all like this guy's just so hot and i I felt it i it was more the emotions and um one key thing sorry i'll I'll stop but um one key thing that I remember is all of these guys i just i f- felt the the strongest like urge to be with them when they would look like into my eyes <laughs> And um, I think that, I've said this to my ex too throughout our relationship, I think that's attributed to um, my uh, memories that I had of my dad uh, that were precious to me. He was, at least in comparison to my child, like it, during my childhood, he was kind of the most uh, uh, precious to me in that he was the one only one who had carried me before granted he only carried me whenever we we're going out somewhere he otherwise well, sorry never, what do you
0: mean by carried you
2: uh picked me up like held me in his in okay. his arms but it was only in transit to a restaurant or something um, when we we're in public he when otherwise when we we're at home he ignored me or told me to, to throw away his beer can or something but I have like a like vivid memories of my dad, like looking into my eyes. And I felt this kind of love and attention that I think after my dad left when I was like seven, um, it was like devastating for me when he left. And I kind of always had crushes since, since then. And I don't know if partly it's normal, you know, as all people have crushes younger, but part of it was kind of like, I feel like looking for my dad again, someone to just look into my eyes and just take care of me. Um, So that's just something i've noticed is a common thing with all these guys is if they would just look at me physically into my eyes i felt this oh they'll take care of me <laughs> so right. just something i've noticed
0: yeah right and of course the physical hunger that children have for being held for for being yeah. you know having their hair stroked i mean it's it's a very powerful and and it it is it is a drug, right? It releases oxytocin. It releases all of these happy joy joy chemicals in the brain. Um, yeah. Obviously, yeah. non sexual uh, physical intimacy is something that we we all like. I mean, this this great yeah. stuff, right? Hugs and and all that. And so it to me it it makes sense. But I don't know if you've watched any of the Gene Wars presentations, or if I can dip into that with your knowledge or not. Have you seen any of those?
2: Seen the follow-ups because you've released like several. Even just the first one.
0: Even just the first one.
2: Yeah, it was the first one. I saw that one.
0: Okay. So, if if all of this is true, this people got to watch the gene war stuff. I'm not going to keep going over it. But if 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 all of this stuff is true, then it would seem to me, Michelle, that your childhood would have primed you for elevated sexuality and uh, a neediness for men, right? Because that's that's the R thing, right? Early childhood uh, sexual, uh, sexual dysfunction uh, combined with fatherlessness would lead you into more the R camp. It doesn't mean you have to stay there, but but this is sort of where no, no, totally. things are. And so you would not have the K pair, pair bonding, the K loyalty uh, to your man. And your boyfriend slash husband also came from less sexual dysfunction but more relational dysfunction, our parents got divorced and and all that. And so he himself would also have been thrown more into the R pile, so to speak. And so for you, your biology is saying that the way that you grew up, children were sexually exploited. What that means is that there's not a protective father around. Now, if there's not a protective father around, which is only exacerbated by your father leaving when you were seven, then it means that you cannot rely on a man. And what that means is that you are going to go for shallow physical characteristics and hold your nose over the scumbag stench emanating from their private parts, because that's what your optimum reproductive strategy is in a male deficient male provider deficient environment right you've become a rabbit so you just look for physical qualities uh and um uh, that and you have uh, a probably um a more sexual uh, response a higher sexual response and more consistent thoughts about sexuality than somebody raised in a more stable environment would have if that makes any sense
2: i would agree with you i I'd been masturbating since I was a kid and kind of been kind of just like preoccupied with sex um, from a very right. young age. So, yeah, I agree with you. Well, and it's not like yeah. this
0: just happened to you out of nowhere. Right. I mean, that's right. because uh, you had early exposure yeah. to, you know, one one of the most R things is rape. R for rape. Right. Uh. Uh, because in terms of fatherlessness, a rapist certainly doesn't stay around. And rape in general usually happened throughout human history rape would happen after the local men had been destroyed in some sort of war or combat and mm-hmm. the prize was the rape of the women right and so uh, right. if you were exposed yeah. early to rape that would have programmed you in a sense for uh, attachment a h- highly sexually responsive attachment to base physical characteristics of men yeah. Uh, regardless of any kind of quality and not having any standard called "what would this per- how would this person be like as a long-term father to stay with me, to raise okay. children with, to, to last me through to old age. You know, forget that. I mean, yeah. the, the our sexuality is sort of like, uh, uh, hey, you know, we're trapped in the bowels of the Titanic. We have no chance to get to safety, so let's have sex. Forget about protection. Forget about, long- I'm just going to pick the hottest person and have sex with them before I drown in... Uh, Kate Winslet, which, you know, is something we've all thought of from time to time.
2: Oh, yeah. Me and so, too. Ha,
0: ha. yeah. So, <laughs> so well, this, um, the, our sort of sexual panic does not look for long term stability. It looks for short term sexual excitement. And that almost always comes at the expense of long term stability. So yeah. um, I think that there's a lot of pain, obviously, in your childhood to process and a lot of yeah. low quality men of whom, you know, it sounds like. Um, your father was one, you know, the fact that he picked you up briefly when it was more convenient than you walking uh, does not exactly make him a great dad. And the fact that you can mostly remember him telling you to throw beer cans in the toilet uh, in in the garbage doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that he was a a great dad. So
5: I think that's
0: a, uh, okay. So, um, so delving into the marriage, you are always going to have, oh, sorry, that sounds very deterministic you are more likely, in my opinion, to have your sexual radar out there for new dude, Mm -hmm. right? Because one one thing that's true about the R's is that there's a craving for variety, right?
2: Yeah, totally. I can relate to that.
0: that. (laughs) Yeah, the craving for variety, which I talk about in the Gene Wars presentation, occurs at a very biochemical uh, level. So there's a craving for variety. So once you've got... The man, to some degree, your our nature is going to have you lose interest and start looking for the new man because that's your hit, that's your dopamine, that's your oxytocin, that's your that's where you get your hit. You don't get your hit from deepening and lengthening lengthening in intimacy with uh, a monogamous partner. You get your hit from the sexual frisson that comes from new meat, right?
2: Yeah. Is it okay if I add two things? Um,
0: it's your conversation, whatever you like.
2: Okay. Well. Um, Well, and you too, you know, I want to respect, you know, where you want to go with the show. Um, But uh, two things is, one, um, so the RK selection, that's really interesting, but, or not but, um, just uh, another factor I'm sure contributed to it is it didn't help that um, my, the adults in my family, they were all female. So except for the exception of like my uncle, my brother. Basically, the male role models were not there um, or they were, like, abusive in some way. Um, But all the adult women treated men like they were, like, disposable. Like, um, I heard repeatedly throughout my childhood, like, like, oh, when you get married, make sure you have the man's money. You take his paycheck. You keep it because... Um, No, if you don't have money, that means you don't have a honey Like just random shit like that Like um, if
0: you don't have money, that means you don't have a honey (laughs) Yeah, I don't I don't like you've got to take the man's oh you take the man's money So he has to stay with you because he doesn't have any money
2: Uh, That and also like if you yourself like basically trying to say a guy won't be with you unless you have Unless you have money That's what my mom was saying like um she would tell me that the only reason my dad or Um, my current stepdad was was and is with her is because of her money. And and the day that she doesn't work, they'll leave. So it was very, like, I never heard anything about having a relationship with a man. It was like, got to be careful. Like, you never know. You can marry a guy and you could never know what he could do. So you got to take his paychecks to protect yourself. It was like never shown to me that oh can't you get to know a guy before you marry him and figure the shit out like so that was one thing and then the second well, you thing didn't. was right. <laughs> right exactly but uh well of course I'm just yeah I didn't if
0: only if only we take the advice we have so roundly given to others but all right
2: <laughs> yeah but um
0: So, and I just want to point out, first of all, your family is not helping the Asians or slightly more K theory, but that's all right. There are outliers in every trend, but, um, also growing up in a matriarchy, which is basically what happens to, to boys in the West now, uh, programs you to be R because where men are absent. We assume that we're in, our genes assume we're in our environment and our hormones assume we're in our environment because the men are absent. So they're either dead because of violence, in which case there's lots of predation, so you better pump out as many kids as quickly as possible, or they're around, but they don't stick around, right? And uh, that, of course, results in, you know, earlier puberty for girls and and more thoughts of sexuality and so on. And uh, so the fact that you grew up in a female-dominated or largely female environment uh, is, uh, you know, it is natural that that this would be the outcome
2: i see that that makes sense it's really interesting cuz um i mean we like we evolved so it makes sense that um like our genes they're they're not like necessarily smart or they don't know for sure what's really going on but they just like based on what the environment is if there's a lack of guys then your genes will um like respond as they had evolved to.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. And it also has yeah. to do with, um, with the general, general society and its praise. So I think that mm-hmm. you can grow up in a female-dominated environment, but if society condemns that as wrong and bad, mm-hmm. then I don't think you go okay. Like, so, for instance, um, let's oh. say you grow up uh, with a bunch of racists, right? Yeah. Well, at least you see that society roundly condemns racism. And so it's far less likely that you're going to grow up as a racist, particularly if your peers condemn it. But if you grow up in a society where, say, there's lots of single moms around, but no one is condemning it, it's praised and it's accepted. Then for sure you're in R. You're in an R environment. See. Because you might just be an outlier like, uh, you know, my crappy single mom, you know, ditched my dad because uh, he wouldn't take out the garbage one night and so on. But because our genes are not modeling themselves on what our parents do, our genes are modeling themselves on what our society accepts and our peers accept in particular because you don't mate wow. with your parents, you mate with your peers. And this is why when when parents have a very strong accent, it doesn't transfer to their children. The children grow up speaking the accent of their peers, not the accent of their parents. But that's exactly right. You don't mate with your parents. You mate with your peers. And therefore, you want to be as as compatible with your peers as humanly possible. So even though your parents teach you how to speak English if they come from Greece or wherever, if they have a strong accent, you end up modeling your peers' accent, which makes perfect sense. And so... When I, um, uh, you know, when I criticize single mothers, I am helping to reprogram the genes of the world to K, right? <laughs> because because if, if there's no criticism of single mothers, the genes assume that the entire tribe is pure R. If there is criticisms of single mothers, then it begins to reprogram people's genetics to the K model, Ah, uh, because they then say, "Oh, so uh the r is an outlier. society it criticizes the r and promotes the K, and your genes will immediately just start reconvening themselves in a k formation <laughs> so uh, yeah. that's that's partly why I do it,
2: yeah, no, um i like growing up, just to give some background, like I heard like single mothers were praised, like they're so hard working and I'm so glad that the the woman left the man like he was terrible for her, like good for her. She's such like, she's such a trooper. She's really, um, yeah.
0: That's how the R gene set replicates, uh, is praise for K behavior is cock blocks. The R gene set. And this is why these, these wars occur at a cultural level. And so every time single mothers are criticized, That is a promotion of the K gene set, and this is why the R gene set, as it expresses itself, not just in single mothers but elsewhere, the R gene set um, will use almost any tactic, any Saul Alinsky-style tactic will be used to condemn and criticize anybody who promotes K behavior. You see this with Ann Coulter, with Donald Trump, with Margaret Thatcher, uh, with Ann Coulter, uh, with Phyllis Schlafly, with um, all of these people who promote uh, K behavior – are attacked by our selected uh, feminists who wish to create a a matriarchy so that they can continue the R reproduction. They need to keep men away from uh, children so that the R gene set has a chance to reproduce. Feminists are just used by the R gene set to keep men at bay so that the R gene set flourishes the most. It's got nothing to do with any ideology uh, at all, so... All right, sorry. Yeah, uh, you, th- you said that there were two things, and we did one. I, 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 if you can remember, the other one.
2: Oh, that's okay. Um, that is interesting. Oh, just a comment. Like, it's interesting that that whole dynamic is happening with, um, like these feminists. But it's not. It, like I was saying earlier, it's like weird. I was like acting, but not even like conscious to why I was acting. So it's just interesting. But um, the second thing was just that. Um, I just want to say that like with my ex, he like I gave you a little bit of background so um based on that he would be more primed for for our uh, re- uh reproduction but he was like he was always like very he tried so hard to be self-aware and always thought to himself and um that's one thing I really admired about him but like he w- was like super focused and he was very k behavior um, but that was through his own, like re like assessment of what his value should be. So I just want to throw that in there. Um, and oh,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. curious, uh, and I'm certainly open to, mm-hmm. uh, to, to what you have to say, Michelle, but I, I'm curious how you would say his K beha- uh, behavior manifests itself.
2: Uh, like he, um, when we got together, he had never, well, he did cheat on me once Um, he cheated on me once after I had like cheated on him with his two best friends. But other than that, he was faithful and didn't flirt with other girls. Um, maybe that could be because he was really self-conscious, but
0: Uh, hang on, hang on. So, uh, so (laughs) he was unfaithful with you. Was he unfaithful all the way biblical sense? Or did he make out with another girl or what happened there?
2: Oh, uh, made out and the Bill Clinton stuff.
0: Oh, so he did oral sex with the girl?
2: Yeah, like he touched her and then like down there and then she touched him too. And yeah.
0: Right. She went uh, a bobbin for man meat. And so that was far more than you had done, which was just make out and sleep in the bed with another guy, right?
2: Uh yeah, but well, uh make out, uh dry humping. That's
0: Wait, wait, wait. We didn't get to dry humping. Oh. <laughs> I always remember a good dry hump story and I do not remember <laughs> any camels making it into this this conversation.
2: Uh, yeah, sorry. The first first guy like we made out in like a car like for like 3 hours and uh, he we dry humped like
0: Holy blue balls, Batman. You're terrible at having affairs. I just... (laughs) That's good. That's a good
2: thing. What do you mean?
0: What... (laughs) Gee, I mean, I don't know. If you're going to have an affair, at least have some screening Mimi coaster sex or something like that. Oh, but
2: that's hilarious. Th- three
0: hours of making out followed by a dry hump. It's like, that's no, h- thanks. I think I'll <laughs> just hit my penis with a mallet instead because that's a lot more
2: fun. <laughs> that's hilarious that you bring that up because I had a friend the other day when I was first telling him about it. Like, I was like, yeah, I cheated on him. He's like, what do you mean you cheat on you? It's sex? I was like, no, this is what I did. And he's like, what? And same Same reaction. Well, not same.
0: I mean, that's just, that's just math. Let's make out for three hours of dry hump. That's just (laughs) math. You know,
2: plus, it's
0: a guy, you either have an orgasm, in which case it's like, eee, sticky clammy underpants for the drive home, (laughs) or you don't, in which case it's like, oh my god. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm just blowing up a balloon that can't
5: explode.
2: Yeah. Oh, and uh, at the end, the guy, because he was like, can we have sex? And I was like, no, I just don't want to have sex. Like... Oh! I just don't want to. And then he was like, "Okay, I'll just jack off." So he did. Oh, he did.
0: That was his solution.
2: Yes, he jacked off, and then we went home. (laughs) So yeah.
0: So he jacked (laughs) off, and you're just like, what? Putting your makeup back on or something like?
2: No. When you're
0: done with that, can you take me home?
2: (laughs) No, I was like being like kind of seductive, like I had. Like I had my shirt off, but my bra on still. But I was just like trying to be sex, you know, like.
0: So you were like 3D porn for him to jack off. Yes. Okay, I got it. I got it. Wow. All right. All right. All right. Here, I'll go down on the stick shift while you (laughs) masturbate. This is like the worst affair I've ever heard of in my life. I just, just pointed that out. Um, I mean, if you're not yeah. having the kind of car sex that sets off an airbag and car alarms three cars <laughs> over, it's just not worth it. I'm yeah. not not worth it either way, but, but you know what I mean. Okay.
2: Yeah, but to put it in perspective, in our minds at the time, like being each other's like first, you know, like really serious relationship that was like, oh my god, you know. No, it's terrible. Don't yeah, get me wrong. It was. It's
0: but, terrible. I yeah. just I get that, but it's it's terrible on on every level. <laughs> just what you want mm-hmm. to point out. Like, that's terrible sex to have an affair with. But anyway, that's neither here nor there at the moment. Okay, so you just, you know, <laughs> dropped that he had an oral sex affair with some woman, right?
2: Yeah, did. I did. Right.
0: And how did you find out about that?
2: Um, he told me the day after. And he came to me crying and saying he's so sorry. Um, he let, I said I was angry. And he's like, I know you're angry. And he... Held me while I was angry.
0: Wait, shouldn't he have been angry? Because <laughs> when you had an affair, you got to be angry at him. So shouldn't he have had an affair and got to be angry at you? How beta is this guy?
2: <gasps> no, he did it. And then afterwards, he was like, he pointed that out. Like, hey, I comforted you. And this is how I reacted. I was so sorry. But look at how you've reacted to me. Like you attacked me. And he would bring up again how how I was reacting and how I wasn't um, doing what he was doing and feeling really bad. Like one of the main things he pointed out was like, you don't even like, you don't even feel bad about like what you did. Like you don't, you're not like, sorry. Like, Oh no,
0: he, he, he leveled up, right? He's like, you know, I did the right thing when I had an affair and you were mean when you had your affair. So I'm morally superior. And Oh, Oh oh, my God. (coughs) Yeah. I need like some some acid sandblasting shower here. <laughs>
2: uh, I, All right. You, you know, actually now that you point that out, I don't know if I've just been crazy or what, but I've I've kind of felt like kinda of thought throughout a relationship or had a problem with how he would say that he's very moral. Like he always had this moral standpoint, like you know, kinda of comparing me and him and yeah. um yeah, and I remember having a problem with that, but at the same time, he was correct. You know what I mean? Like, he had no, the logic no, correct. he's he not correct.
0: Moral. No, uh, he is not correct well, that he's better than you.
2: Uh, morally, like...
0: No,
5: I, no, no.
2: He's not... Look, if
0: I'm in a criminal gang, and I lecture everyone else about how bad it is to be in a criminal gang... Am I really a paragon of moral virtue?
2: No, but he but well, how would you translate you that? You were in a gang of
0: betrayal to, and lust and hurting and drama and people falling downstairs and getting slapped. Right, you were right. in a nightmare relationship. Right.
3: Yeah. Right.
0: And he's like, "Well, I'm staying in this nightmare relationship because I'm morally superior." Mm. I mean, come All on. Right, he's, he kept you around to feel morally superior. But if he genuinely was morally superior, he wouldn't have been married to
2: you in the first place. Yeah. Oh, wow. Right? So
0: he keeps you around to feel morally superior. But he's such a shitty person that you're the person he has to feel morally superior to. He married you to feel superior. Oh, man. Wow. that.
2: That's like really... Like uncomfortable to kind of think about. It is because because you look (laughs) up to this guy. Yeah, I I really (laughs) idealized him. I did. (laughs) I'll tell you what. I'll tell you you what, Michelle.
0: (laughs) You you let's have a cooking contest. I'll cook shit and you cook vomit, so I can call you a terrible cook because your food tastes bad.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's so interesting to me because, like, there were times like where. Oh man, like, like because like so he would make a mistake. He'd say something hurtful, but because he handled it in this way, in the way where I'm so sorry that I made that mistake. I won't do that again. And honestly, sometimes it kind of felt fake. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, because he's it, like, well, you see, <laughs> I screwed around on you, but I'm going to handle it in such a superior a way that I'm way. It even smaller. Yeah,
2: wow.
0: I'm I'm a mature man, whore. So I win the moral contest of mankind. Like, oh my God. I, I just like I need you to this is a cold water of reality.
2: Oh my God. That's so wow. Yuck. I, I had yuck, yuck. Yeah. Yeah, I had um these past couple of years, like um like um have been very difficult. So uh like he something that I've been working on, like um he had called me like evil, said that I'm evil and um, different things that I have i could be a psycho- a uh, uh, a psychopath a sociopath um a uh, a- uh, a narcissist um an evil just evil and also dead inside um uh, because like and i mean many different things he bring up but one of them was like he'd always compare me me and him, and i always felt just so. Like, like not like on his level. And he would say how he as a kid thought a ton and, and focused on himself so much versus I didn't do that. I dissociated and he had a hard childhood too. Um, okay. and, and I reckon, I'm, just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to stop you because I'm
0: yeah. sorry to, sorry to interrupt you. We'll, we'll get back to the torrent yeah. of hideous verbal abuse that he poured on you, right. but he knew about your childhood, I would assume. Right.
2: Yeah, Totally.
0: He knew about your... Ad- I mean, he probably didn't know the specific details in terms of the adverse childhood experience score of 10. No. But he knew that you had been severely abused as a child, right?
2: Yeah, he knew that.
0: And so I don't... I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I'm. But, but I'm, I think I'm on fairly safe ground in saying that if you know someone who was horribly abused as a child calling them psychotic and evil and sociopathic and narcissistic and dead inside, that's not a healing conversation, right? No. Because what troubled me the most about the letter that you sent in was that it seemed to spell yearning for reconciliation to me.
2: Me, yeah, at the time. Uh, this was written September ninth, to be fair. Um since then I've I've been talking I have like this friend that I am No, no, no. Oh,
0: sorry, sorry. Don't don't give me everything's reversed in less than a month. Come on. <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't. It can't all have changed in less than the patterns of a quarter century. Bah, you know, okay. oh it's okay. I've okay. completely reversed my whole okay, right. trajectory right. towards catch. doom and dysfunction. Okay. Good catch. So so but you had as... a, Yeah, you had a yearning and the best way to to counteract yearning for dysfunction is to see it clearly for what it is so you have within you um the 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 mental image or the mental voice of this guy who is you know this tall paladin of virtue uh while you are some i don't know scum sucking whore or whatever the hell he would call you which is not my words i don't think i've said anything mean to you is that fair to say Right. But I, I think I have, you know, tried to deal with... I'm not moralized at you. I've not called you bad or anything like that. And so we're, we're talking about this stuff as as dysfunction. Uh, and I've not uh, um, I've not made any moralizing. I don't think I've made any particular moralizing about this. So we can have a conversation about this stuff, which is not shaming you, right? is not... Casting right. you down into the pit of, of moral horror and calling you evil and all that kind of stuff. I think I've been pretty frank about the stuff that I, it's not exactly functional, but right. this is not necessary to to pour this level of soul-defining verbal abuse. This isn't like, oh, you just did something really mean or you have a bit of a mean streak. It's like you are evil. You are synonymous with all that is worst and most malicious in, in humankind. That is not a healing conversation, and that does not come from a morally superior human being. I will tell you that for sure.
3: Okay.
0: Yeah. You know, what, I'm not saying you were. If you were just some, I don't know, kitten strangling, stone evil human being, you know what a good person would do? Not marry you. <laughs> right?
2: <laughs> or not stay with me
0: right right and and certainly not pour upon your very harmed inner child more crippling and crushing moral verbal abuse upon you i mean yeah. what what was the theory behind that? Is that supposed to make you a better person to be called evil it
2: would just be like. Uh, he was feeling really strongly, but then again, he honestly is not sure if I am or not Sometimes no no, wonders, forget all
0: of that don't 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 yeah. you talk to me about what this guy honestly is or honestly isn't <laughs> right, yeah right'll right, yeah. tell you i't I'll, I'll tell you exactly what is going on with this guy in my humble opinion. Are you ready? Are you sitting down? This might blow your mind
2: oh god yeah I'm sitting
0: are you ready? I need you to assume a crash position of some kind. <laughs>
2: Mm, okay
0: (laughs) okay so we'll call this guy john yeah (laughs) so john through his moral condemnation and verbal abuse of you is doing to you michelle exactly what was done to him in that locked room by his father
2: yes i'm sorry yeah sorry i had this same thought because i've met his dad and i've heard the stories like it made total sense to me for him to you know take that position like because he was like taught that um his dad had this air of like i'm right no matter what and i'm virtuous he had the same and and it's common among mormons not well just from the videos i've seen they have this like they're from this, like, we are, you know, especially if you're a guy, you have the priesthood or whatever, you have this moral authority over everyone. And it's, ah, it's like, you talk yeah, in this. Look, a lot of, of
0: yeah. a lot of, a lot of moralizing, a lot of moralizing is an exquisite form of verbal sadism.
2: Huh. I see. <laughs> Very sophisticated. <laughs>
0: very
3: sophisticated and very not it's,
2: it's
0: moralizing as verbal sadism slash concern troll i'm very concerned that you're not getting into heaven because you're not obeying me so i'm uh, concerned that you're evil right i want to help you be better i want to whatever right uh, and so there's right. this concern troll slash verbal sadism which is i am Uh, the archangel of moral instruction who has been assigned to save your soul from your own immorality. And God, it's a, it's a head trip and a half. I'm telling you, man, it, that, that that shit gets right inside your head. Like it's a brain virus. And this is why you're like, Oh, he's a great guy. I, I'm so, I'm so sorry for all the terrible things I did to him. And I wonder if we can repair things like, Oh my God, Stockholm syndrome much. Yeah. Uh,
2: Stefan, can I say something? I just, so while thinking about this, you know, coming to this realization about him, at the same time, I, I feel sorry for him. You know, he's not this way on purpose or anything like that. And um, it, I just.
0: All right. Let me it. ask you a couple of questions because we can examine this from a Socratic standpoint. Are you ready? Yeah,
2: look, all right. Sounds good. Still staying in that
0: good old crash position? Got your FDR helmet on. All right.
2: Actually, no, because I got excited. But I'll go okay, back, that's fine.
0: That's fine. All right. So, um, did did John talk about the virtue and value of self knowledge?
2: Uh, yeah, he. Did. You already
0: answered this for me two or yeah, three he times. he
2: did. Oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> okay.
0: So he talked about the virtue and value of self-knowledge. Now, what steps did he take on any regular basis to criticize himself, to evaluate himself, to compare himself to moral standards that he was subject to? Did he go to therapy? Did he read self-help books? Did he keep with you and share a journal? Did he talk to you about uh, dreams? Or What did he do as an active uh, goal of pursuing self-knowledge that was not self-congratulatory but includes self-critical elements?
2: Oh um uh actually um, he the only like the thing he always did was think to himself. He's he would say I've been thinking and I'm I realize so unverifiable
0: stuff. Now right. the thinking that he pursued
2: yeah. did it
0: ever result in him genuinely criticizing himself.
2: Uh yeah, it did.
0: Okay, so give me an example of his self criticism. Mm-hmm. and not bullshit self-criticism like i just let you push me around too much you right. know it was <laughs> like... basically just failed criticism of you genuine self-criticism followed by a commitment to change to figure out the source oh. followed by actual change so give me um
2: uh, okay not right? not the followed up by commitment to change but a genuine self-reflection in that
0: self-criticism give me a self-criticism that he was able to achieve
2: uh that um He came back once after, like, we had an argument, and um, he had called me some names, and I said it really hurt, and he didn't, um, he, like, justified himself in that moment, but then he, like, later, he, like, said he thought about it and said, you know, I realize I I said I justified it, but I was actually completely wrong, and that probably really hurt you, didn't it, and um, I was just trying to hurt you, I recognized I was trying to just hurt your feelings,
0: and So he recognized a cruel element within himself, a sadistic or brutal element within him, verbally abusive element within himself. And what commitment did he make to understand its source? Did he go to therapy to get help? Did he go to anger management? Did he read books on anger management? Did he make the commitment Um, to never do that again and follow through on it?
2: No, because the source was me because I cheated because I don't, I didn't care about him when I cheated. I didn't do anything to make it up to him. So he had all these feelings held within him and it just came out and
0: oh so his up- self-criticism was i said things that were mean but it was your fault
2: yeah it would come back to that yeah
0: okay so this is not
2: <laughs> well,
0: self-criticism in any self-criticism is when you say i did something wrong and i am 100 percent responsible for it i am not going to take the out yeah. of blaming you and uh, it is my job to fix i came into the relationship with this it's not your fault and I am going to go all the way back to the source. I'm going to sit down with a the therapist. I'm going to do whatever it takes to find out the source and to deal with this. I'm commit to never doing it again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I feel bad because, like, maybe maybe it's from idealizing him. I'm still processing it. And so far, you oh, know, no. this conversation, it's from him it, idealizing him. No. Yeah,
0: Michelle, it's from him idealizing him. Did you yeah. grow up? I, I assume that given how fun- dysfunctional your family was when you grew up, that these were not people who really criticized themselves either, right? Mm-mm. No. No.
2: They were always right. Right. Yeah. An it, inability
0: to admit error is a promise of repetition, right? The, the reason we we take ownership and we refuse to blame others is the degree to which we blame others is the degree to which we're promising to do it again. It's your fault I got angry means that Anytime you do something that makes me angry, I don't have to stop myself because you're the one who's really doing it, right?
3: Yeah, you know, we, I've, if, I've definitely guy, done that if, too. Yeah. yeah, if
0: a ventriloquist uses his, his dummy to club a homeless guy to death, we don't blame the dummy because the dummy was just doing what the ventriloquist did with his hand up his ass, right? So right. we take ownership and we apologize and we commit to change because that says the future is going to be different from the past. The, when we don't take responsibility or we blame other people for our emotional state, we are promising just going to happen again and again and again
2: yeah i completely agree right
0: like if if you run a restaurant and the waiter says well i spat in his soup because he looked at me funny and it was his fault that the spittle (laughs) ended up in the soup what's going to happen the next time well he's got no right blaming other people is scouring ourselves of any vestige of free will it, yeah. It's a momentary relief when we look at our own capacity to do wrong. It's a momentary relief to blame others because we don't have to look at what Jung called the shadow or our dark side of our own nature, our capacity to do harm, uh-huh. unjust harm.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: So we
0: can blame other people for sure, but that simply means that we have no control over the behavior in the future because it's other people who are causing it.
3: Right.
0: Like if someone straps me down and shines a sunlamp in my face and I get a sunburn, well, clearly that's other someone else's fault, <laughs> right? So yeah. I can't, you know, uh, and but... <laughs> when we take ownership for ourselves, it's painful. And the only thing that we get out of it is free will and choice and virtue, right? So it's well worth it, but a lot of people don't see it. So that was sort of my concern that you had acted in ways that were obviously wrong and bad and, and wouldn't work in a functional relationship. But my concern is that you are looking at yourself as a self-critical person. You're looking at yourself. And, you know, to your credit, you have not excused this stuff. You didn't say, well, he didn't bring me flowers, so I had to go play tonsil hockey with his best friend or whatever, right? Um,
2: That's actually you true. Know, well, he,
0: I'm, just, I'm sorry? Um, yeah, that is true. If it, one more flower and I wouldn't <laughs> have been, you know, dry humping the most sexually frustrated man in the history of the universe. Um <laughs> It's the best movie ever. I wish you weren't blind. (laughs) Um, So you you haven't tried to justify. You have taken ownership. You haven't tried to defend your actions. You haven't tried to minimize what you've done. So it seems to me that you're taking responsibility. And uh, I can't for the life of me see where John is doing the same.
2: Um, Well, we, to his credit, we've had some conversations after. It's kind of like, like he's told me like, so after he, he said that he said some really horrible things to me and that he shouldn't have and that I'm, I'm not evil. I'm not messed up in, um, he, he had his own th- things. He made mistakes too. So that's what he said.
0: He made mistakes. No, like, no, no, no. If you call someone names. evil unjustly, you've been verbally abusive. Yeah. That's not a, I can't remember where I put my keys. Oh, here they are in a big pile of my wife's evil. Oops. All right. right? I,
2: I feel like he's so, I, I, I kind of, I feel bad for his childhood. I don't know what it was like, it, like the psychological Oh, stop, abuse. Stop, oh, okay, stop, okay. stop,
0: stop, stop, right. stop, stop. I've okay. got to stop you. Do it. An excess of empathy is a sin and a crime. Ah. You do not show people more empathy than they show you. Okay. Where's his empathy for your childhood when he's calling you evil and psychopathic and sociopathic and narcissistic and dead inside? What a horrible, that's an unbelievably horrible thing to say to someone. Yeah. yeah. Not even dead spots, you know, not even chillblains of the soul, but <laughs> spiritually dead. Like, where yeah. was his empathy for you? Stop showing him more empathy than he has shown you.
2: Okay i'm sure it's yeah
0: yeah that's codependence
2: well preoccupation with another person yeah
0: well and no it's 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 having these rules which are non-reciprocal right i mean it's it's having a, a rule which says well i just have to treat people well no matter what they do and i guess they'll just come around somehow and it'll all be lovely and if it doesn't it's my fault so i gotta try harder to whatever right I mean, that's <laughs> a rational approach. Is I'm not saying hate the guy, but you know, reaching out in empathy to his childhood. And I mean, look, you both did wrong in the relationship. I don't know, this is not does not sound like a very healthy relationship to my amateur ears. But um, yeah, this idea that you've got to now focus on feeling tender for his inner child. No, 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 <sighs> because he did not feel tender towards your inner child, and he seems to me pretty manipulative and pretty leveling in one-upmanship and. And uh, verbally abusive and so on. And look, I'm sure you gave as good as you got at times. And so I'm not, you know, you're the helpless victim and he's the monster ogre or whatever. Right. But you've got to start focusing on you. Okay. On you. You've got to start focusing on not gaining value or identity out of how you bounce off other people. Right. You've got to have value for yourself based upon who you are. Not if a guy is attracted to you. Not if a guy is paying attention to you. Not if a guy wants to slap you. Not if you can so upset a guy he'll throw himself down a set of stairs, right? That's all having an identity based upon your impact on other people. Yeah. And the more we want to have impact, and, and you only have two choices. You can impact men sexually or you can impact them in a traumatic way. And these two are obviously tied together because if you're in a monogamous relationship and impact with another guy sexually, also... Impacts the guy you're with in a negative way, but it's all about having impact rather than having an identity does that
2: yeah, that I um, that's actually something Um When we separated I like thought to myself like okay i'm on my own now like And I have been thinking this like try I read this book like healing the child within i'm I'm trying to learn to love and accept myself because I I get that that comes first and that if i don't love and accept myself anything i'm doing like is is not real or genuine like i'm not really giving love i'm uh, being codependent i'm like more needing them to to be with me instead of um having that uh just you know kind of just accepting myself for who i am i i've kind of always needed like external validation um have always been like a ca- class clown needing a ton of friends to validate that I'm funny or pretty or whatever. So definitely something i am been working on. And I'm actually reading this book, too, called Codependence. Um,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. There's another one, I think, called Codependent No More and so on. So, I mean, that's all. You're, you're in therapy. You're working out with this kind of stuff. But I, I would really mm-hmm. nag you to be to be annoying, Michelle. I'd really nag you to that's focus... Okay. Not on well, I have this need, or I, I was a class clown, or because that sounds like that's just who okay. you are and and your personality and so okay. on. These are very specific survival strategies for an extremely dangerous environment. Right, you grew up in an extremely dangerous environment, like deep in the jungle, tigers in the undergrowth, malaria in the air, and spiders mm-hmm. the size of saucers crawling up your back. You lived, you grew up in an exceedingly dangerous. Environment And that had a conditioning, not irreversible, but it had a strong conditioning effect on your personality. Yeah. And these aren't just your happenstance characteristics. These aren't choices that you made. These are specific adaptations to survive an extremely dangerous environment. Uh, where death, yeah. abandonment, rape, uh, being beaten up, uh, all of this, right, can be. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was reading um, about Michael Hutchins, the singer for InXS and um one after one night i think he was in paris and he was eating some indian food and he was wandering around or standing around the middle of the street and a cab driver stopped and got into it with him We'd, get out of the way i've got to go pick up a fare and michael hutchins in his inimitable way uh he always had that sort of metrosexual douchebag aura around him although a great singer and good songwriter and all that but the the, the cab driver got out and um got so angry he pushed michael hutchins And now it's a cobblestone street. Maybe he'd had something to drink. I don't know. But he, Michael Hutchins stumbled and fell backwards. And he hit his head on a sidewalk curb. And clearly, I, I think he had a concussion or something like that. But he didn't go and get any medical attention for a week or two. And what had happened was he'd received some sort of damage to his brain where he could no longer taste or smell anything. And he was a wine connoisseur and all this kind of stuff. So this was a very sensual guy. And, you know, mock-haired man-whore. But anyway, that's a topic for another time. So, and the reason I'm sort of bringing this story up, Michelle, is that when you grow up in a situation where there's violence in the household, you can die every day or you can end up with some crippling injury or you can end up with a concussion where you your speech slurs for the rest of your life or you lose the ability to take – got he got crushingly depressed after this right where well, you yeah. can't smell or taste anything everything tastes like cram or space food or whatever it is right it's just terrible you, you're just like here you get to eat toothpaste for the rest of your life nothing tastes like anything yeah. And uh, that's, you know, food is a great pleasure and, and um, smells are a great pleasure and all that. And wine is a great pleasure. And the, so the reason, like, when you grow up in a violent household, every day you can die. Every day you can receive an injury that changes your life permanently. And, you know, for the worse. And I remember that when I was a kid. As I mentioned this story before, I was a kid in boarding school and this little kid jumped into a pool and, Tried to do a flip and jumped into the pool, bumped his head, and nobody noticed for a minute or two. When they got him out, he was brain damaged for the rest of his life. It can happen like that. And that's mm. at a pool. And, wh- and that's, you know, at least you can say to kids, don't do flips on the edge of the pool when you're seven years old. But when you grow up in a violent household, it conditions who you are. And it it necessarily has to, you grew up in a war zone. You had an adverse childhood experience score of 10, my sister. You Mm -hmm. have grown up in a hellscape of violence, abandonment, degradation, exploitation, aggression, manipulation, emptiness, and danger. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of grieving that I would say needs to occur for that. Because here's the great danger. I'll tell you what I've really loved about this conversation is how quick your brain is.
3: Like
0: <laughs> this isn't to diss any of the other callers I've had, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you're not stereotyping on Chinese reflexes. <laughs> you, you, you know, you are stereoty- you're not breaking that stereotype, right? <laughs> yeah. And so your, your, your brain is incredibly rapid. Your emotional openness is, is there uh, muted, but there. Mm, yeah. And you have a lot to offer a quality man in the future. But here's the problem. I would say, I don't mean to tell you your experience. So your judgment may, means a lot more than my ramblings in terms of your life. But as I see it from the outside, Michelle, this is what I see.
3: Hmm.
0: I see a little girl who grew up paralyzed by helplessness, paralyzed by an inability to will any changes, any concessions, any negotiation, any empathy in the environment.
3: Yeah.
0: And when, when I play with my daughter, she from, from the very beginning, because I'm bigger and stronger and faster, the way that she deals with me is she shoots a frost ray at me that freezes me. Mm-hmm. And I have to stay frozen until she breathes out hot air to thaw me out. Right. So if (laughs) if I suddenly make a go for her food at the table, she has to freeze me and I have to stay frozen until she unfreezes me. And that's fun. But what it does is it gives her control over somebody who's four times her size. Right.
3: Mm. Because
0: I really want in our play for her to have a sense of control. Like I can pick her up. I can, you know, I can do whatever because I'm so much bigger, but she has this frost ray. She developed it, right? She developed the frost ray and the, the heat ray to, to, and to, to, to freeze and thaw me so that she has control despite her small size. And it is of Uh course uh, my goal to continue to give her as much control as is responsible as a parent within her, because, the alternative to control <clears throat> is manipulation. The opposite of control is manipulation. Mm-hmm. And so, my concern is this you grew up helpless, and now nature, God, and the devil have all conspired to give you great sexual power. You now have, as a young, attractive woman, and as far as I understand it, Asian women pretty much at the top of the pecking order of who people want to have dates with, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. No, no, it's true. Uh, the studies have been done, at least according to dating profiles and dating sites. Interesting. Um, Asian women get the most responses uh, and get uh. the most interest. Yeah. Hey, who doesn't like Asian girls? Is there some video around, right? And, um,
2: <laughs> gosh,
0: you know, very smart and not wildly feminist. So anyway, <laughs> there is a yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay. th- there's a lot to be said. Mm. So, so you, as somebody who's at the top of the pecking order of sexual appeal, now have a lot of power. When you grew up without yeah. learning how to handle power in yeah. a slowly growing manner, in an in incremental manner, so you've kind of gone from zero power to megawatt power relatively mm, yeah. quickly,
2: right? Yeah, definitely. I I felt that power honestly. I. I I get it. There's I mean, a, a guy will make out with you girl. for
0: three hours and then beg for sex. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of power.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, imagine me sitting in a, in a, in a parking lot with a guy saying, all right, I'm going to play you three hours of my podcast at a very low volume. <laughs> I mean, you'd be like, uh, no, right? You can't <laughs> quite hear it. It's more annoying than knowledgeable, but occasionally you <laughs> might catch a scrap or two. Right. And then uh, I'm going to give you some cardboard earphones to dry hump your head with. But anyway.
2: Yeah. Um, what, was it you who had this analogy? I can't remember, but I heard it somewhere like um being a girl is kind of like having being a, a, a like a baby with a million dollars? <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> I don't think I said that one, but Okay. <laughs> particularly like, for girls who grew up in an environment of helplessness, uh it, yeah. it the sexual power that that nature gives to uh, any reasonably attractive young woman and you're more than reasonably attractive. Well, that's a lot of power. And so from being unable to affect your environment as a child, you now can, you know, snap your fingers and have guys at your beck back and call and guys are showing lots of interest in you. And it feels like it's filling up a hole called childhood, but it's not.
2: No, it's not. I hate it. It's gross. It's I not. mean, yeah, I've, I've experienced, I mean, in the relationship with my ex, I've, it was just—it was empty. It was not a real relationship. It was a momentary high, but at night when I go home, it's not—it's nothing real to hold on to. It's, its yeah.
0: So. And you have enough quality that you don't need to. I mean, There's nothing wrong with being sexy, and nothing wrong with being attractive, and all that. But you have enough qualities yeah. Yeah. as a person that the sexiness that you have, or the physical attraction, the attractiveness that you have. It should be like the icing on the cake. It shouldn't be like all icing, exactly. right? there's
2: yeah. no food there, right? Yes, exactly. I, I'm, yeah, I agree. <laughs> the okay. icing part. All right.
0: So, um, I, I guess keep on with your therapy and, and so on. Uh, that's all I had okay. to say was, how was the conversation for you?
2: Oh, um, uh, fluctuations of different emotions um very enlightening also really enjoyable uh, a lot to process and think about um yeah it was it was really good thanks so much for your time it's been like almost two hours but i oh, really listen you're appreciate welcome this.
0: and uh yeah stay single stay single until you can find a guy who cheating on would be like you know, it's what Paul Newman said about his wife, Joanne Woodward, when, because, you know, he was a very attractive, one of the most handsome guys, along with Redford, uh, back in the day in, in Hollywood. And people yeah. said, well, aren't these women all throwing themselves at you? And he's like, yeah, but why go out for a hamburger when you've got steak at home?
3: <laughs> you uh, know, why
0: go out for fast food <laughs> when you've got a buffet at home? And, yeah, um, exactly. And that's, you know, when when you have a man in your life where it's like, well, why would I want to have... Float with anyone else because this guy is, is the best there is. That's where you've got, I think, the real connection and you can get there for sure. Yeah.
2: All right. Thank you. All right. I agree. Thank you very <laughs> much.
0: Uh, keep us posted and uh, we'll move on to the next caller. All right.
2: Thanks, Stefan. Thanks, Mike. Take care, guys.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Take Thanks, care. Michelle. Thank you. Bye. All right. Well, up next is Corey. Corey wrote in and said, I'm an economics graduate currently managing a personal finance company. I have two female employees that, for the past three months, are taking every attempt of mine to coach and improve their production personally, as if I'm insulting them. I would understand this behavior if we weren't as successful as a branch, and I was rude and obnoxious to them, but I'm not. However, we're the branch of the year, that was last year, under my supervision, and up until three months ago, we got along rather well. Also, I have been lenient with them regarding their mistakes, dress code, family responsibilities due to our success as a reward for their good service. But here lately, their attitudes have changed drastically. I can tell that they dread coming to work. They do not enjoy me being their manager. Having noticed this, I've tried everything I can think of to improve their attitudes, including branch contests, buying lunches, positive feedback when they do something good, not having to work overtime, etc., and nothing has helped. I would greatly appreciate if Steph could discuss this with me and see if we can figure out what is going wrong. This topic is important to me because I am currently trying to take over one of the largest branches we have, and I cannot allow a repeat of this scenario or I will fail spectacularly. That's from Corey.
0: Has anything changed um, since you sent in the email? Yeah, I, um, I'm actually,
6: they gave me that branch. so. Oh, um, yeah, okay, so stakes are higher excellent
0: yeah absolutely all right and uh, so are you out of the orbit of these three women um or are they still under your custody so to speak
6: uh no i have a whole new group of employees
0: right I have uh, four now, women now right and have you had trouble with other women or was it mostly these three that were the uh the issue
6: no, I've um, I've been in two other branches as kind of a um, as what we, what we call a branch manager trainee, where you kind of apprenticeship under another, other branch managers and learn what to do, how to pass audits, that kind of stuff. And right. um, predominantly, the employees I've worked with have been women, and this is the first time it's kind of came at me, and I'm I have no idea what to do.
0: Right. Right. So you've had um, success in uh, providing feedback and coaching to other women, right? Yes. Do you have any – what are your theories as to what's, what's different in this situation?
6: I think it's, um, I think it's a little bit of um, my age um, and that I came in from another company. Um, I, when I took over the branch, I was 25, and there, one's 50-something and the other one's in her late 30s, and
0: um, and you were promoted over them, is that right?
6: Well, yeah, you could say that. I mean, they, one of them's been working there for you know five years. The other one's been there seven or eight. So I mean, so they, in what
0: way were you not promoted over them? You said well, kind of.
6: Well, it was an acquisition um, where we took over. They, we bought their company out, and so I think they
0: they brought me in because I was can you, can you give me a sort of example? Let's say that I'm one of these women and you're bringing me up, bringing me in for some coaching. What, what sort of stuff would you, would you say?
6: Well, usually if I, I have to review,
0: um, paperwork a
6: lot. And so if I find mistakes, I'll say, I'll say, Hey, come over here, you know, come, come to my desk for a second. And I'll say, okay, this is, I'll show the show what happened. I'll say, um, I'll give a specific example. Um, I we have to write up our accounts. And so I was hearing that she was take it was taking her a long time to do it. And I have this I have a pretty much typed out script that you can just copy and paste that has all the information on it. It takes about uh five seconds to do. It, it takes no time at all versus having to type out, you know, three, four hundred characters. and so I was like, Hey, you know, look at this see what you, you know, see what I do here. I'll just copy and paste it into the application and you don't have to worry about typing it all out. And so she took that as I was, you know, demeaning her and saying she didn't know how to do it. And I did, I was like, why, I was like, why are you mad at me about this? I'm just trying to make your, I'm just trying to make it easier on you. She's like, well, you talk to me like I'm a child. It's like, okay,
0: Uh, I'm sorry. Well, that thesis is confirmed by the fact that you're upset because I'm trying to help you. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't want to say that, but yeah. Now, did you have firing and firing over these uh, women? Could you fire fired them? Uh, no, it's
6: not that easy. Um, Why uh, were you? We, I
0: thought you were the manager.
6: I am, but I'd have to. I'd have to go through HR and stuff, and there's protocols for, like, right, you have to have so many, uh, like a verbal warning and then a written warning. <clears throat>
0: Is that instance, company policy or is because there's yes. some uh, states where you can fire without cause?
6: Right. Where the 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 state I'm in, you can. Um, but with and that's sort of like a. We need you gone now because you're you're a bad you're you're a problem, a major problem.
4: Right.
0: And yeah. I no, <clears throat> it's just kind of funny how you and not, not to generalize, but women in general want the ability to leave marriages And I don't think guys get written warnings and verbal warnings and (laughs) (laughs) she she can just wake up and say, Hey, this family is done and there's nothing you can do to stop me. But which is a little, you know, arguably more important than firing someone from some position. Uh, But so women want as a whole, the right to be able to end marriages at will, but God forbid you fire them at will. That's just horrendous, right? That's really, that's bad, right? And I've, I've talked to them when they say this, I'm like, look,
6: I'm, if you could hear the way that my boss talks to me, I mean, you would understand. Like, because I've got my bosses are men, and right. um, and you're a man, yeah. And so they don't sugarcoat it and be nice and like coddle me with it. When they ask yeah. me, I mean, they're like, "Are you stupid? Like, why did you do that?"
0: I mean, it's, <laughs> right. it's, it's not I get nice. It. I've, I've I've been in the business world. I've had bosses yeah. uh, who were men, uh, and uh, I've uh, managed women and so on. And yeah, I mean, I, I get it. it's a different thing, but, um, uh, so, so is it fair to say that you don't think that uh, there's anything that you did that uh, could have been misinterpreted and I'll trust you on this. So I have no reason to disbelieve you. I just wanted to double check on that. If you had any sort of second thoughts about the way you approached it.
6: Uh, uh, yeah, I always try to analyze my behavior and try to see, you know, what, what I've done. Um, I'm pretty self-critical. Um, and I, I do think sometimes I can be a little bit of a smart ass. And the way I I always try to to I don't like giving them answers. I like to help them get the answer themselves so they learn instead of just me feeding them answers.
0: And so, are I you think, showing um, no? Are you showing weakness because you you said, "Well, I'm sorry," but, but, but and I I think it's a good rule to not apologize when you haven't done anything wrong. Like an yeah. apology shouldn't be one of these automatic someone sneezes you say, bless you. Someone's upset with you, say, well, I'm sorry. Because I think that does show a kind of weakness that can encourage uh, more resistance.
6: I, no, I don't. I, I normally, it was, that was more of like a sarcastic sorry. Um, yeah. I don't, I'm I don't sorry apologize. You're upset, but yeah, yeah okay. exactly. Sorry, you're mad, right.
0: but I'm, I'm totally fine. Right, okay. Well, um, let me go out on a limb here and guess that you played sports when you were younger yeah a lot right how did i know that uh uh, i don't know how did you know that Steph? because Corey, you can take criticism oh yeah and one thing that sports teaches you is you better learn how to take criticism or ain't nobody gonna want to play with you right absolutely Did you, when you were a kid, did, were most of your activities structured? Like, in other words, you got a class you got to go to, or did you have a fair amount of unstructured, go out and play, find some friends, figure out what to do kind of stuff? I
6: had a lot of that. Um, Tons of, my parents were very hands off and um, like they would just, friends would come over the week, weekend and spend the night or two. We would be out in the woods running around playing for hours and hours
0: right so there you've got to do a lot of negotiation and if you try to come up with something that other people want to do that your friends didn't want to do like if you brought out a big box of barbies or something and what would they say (laughs) yeah yeah a lot of derogatory let's get some firecrackers right (laughs) let's blow them up but but you can't you can't make your friends do stuff so you've got to learn how to provide value and if you don't provide good value then your friends are going to tell you right away hey that that idea sucks they'll put that in your head right (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So you grew up with sports, you grew up with unstructured playtime, which means that you get that nobody owes you massive sensitivity to your feelings if you're not providing value. I mean, even if you are providing value, they're not there to coddle you, they're, you know, the coaches and sit there and say, well, how did you feel about that last pass that went into the bleachers? Because I feel that may have been somewhat negative for the team's capacity to win the game, right? <laughs> yeah.
6: They, yeah, they were definitely
0: that calm about throwing helmets on the ground and you suck you know like i mean there's a lot of that kind of stuff and and your bosses your male bosses are comfortable saying well that was stupid what the hell were you thinking right yes exactly right um i'm also going to go out on a limb and i'm going to guess whether you know or not that these women uh not so much play a lot of sports
6: no neither one of them one of them i have she was always in a bad mood and i was like you know why don't you, um, you know, if you feel bad and you're, why don't you go exercise and do you exercise? Well, I didn't say just out of the bat, go exercise. I was like, well, do you, you know, what do you do after work? She's like, oh, I'll just go home and watch Judge Judy. And I was like, well, you know, what if you took your dogs out and walked them around or did stuff to kind of, you know, get some exercise going that, and then, you know, that was offensive.
0: Oh yeah. Are you saying I'm fat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah right so um, so people who grow up sports has is a very, very helpful thing to uh to talk about um and to understand it has a great value in terms of uh it's a great training for the free market, especially sports where not everyone has to play, not everyone gets a medal, right, so when you go out and play in the woods with your friends, I don't know if you ever had some. Whiny Urkel type kid who nobody wanted around, but it usually doesn't take long for everyone to not have that kid around, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, he's the whiny one. Anytime there's a problem, he goes and gets his mom, and you know, uh, uh, he cries and whatever it is, right? I mean, and so if you can't compete in the free market of free play, you get you get ostracized and ditched pretty quickly, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, so
6: that happens a lot with with people yeah, you just don't.
0: They just.
6: They'd be there for one, and then they never showed up again.
0: It was like, yeah, or you just arrange it so that they're not around, um, uh, so, so that wherever you go to you, – or, or, you know, you can pull the classic one of saying, we're going to meet, meet over here tomorrow. Come play with us, and then you just go somewhere else, right? <laughs>
4: exactly. Or the old,
0: the old famous, let's take off on him, right? Yeah, done that before. Oh, yeah, of course, right? And uh I you know, I, I remember this and and I see this. Um uh I, I saw this in the daycare I worked in, of course. Uh I was you know, I was a pretty popular kid. People wanted to play uh with me and I never uh I think once kids took off on me, but you know, I it's that's kinda of shit test, right? Like if you don't get that bothered. But if you're like, guys, you're wailing away in the forest, they're all laughing and it's like I'm not saying it's necessarily the most emotionally healthy thing, but it does you know, give you some, some thicker skin. That's sort of important, but yeah, for the most part, I just go out and, you know, we had no money and you just, I lived with a whole bunch of kids around and we'd just go out and find something to do. And you had to negotiate and you had to be the kid that other people wanted to play with. And you get used to the criticism of coming up with ideas that other people say suck, you know? (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, what are you going to do? Right?
6: Yeah. The, the, the honesty of, of children is, is blow your mind. Um, they'll tell you really quick what they think about something.
0: Well, and particularly, now, did you guys play a lot with uh, girls, or was it mostly boys? It was mostly boys. And were there any girls around?
6: Uh, every once in a while, I had a, a friend that would; her parents would bring her over, but for the majority of the time, no, it was mostly just boys. Right, right.
0: So, that, I think, is, is important to understand. And it doesn't have anything to do with male-female fundamentally, but... I think more boys do that kind of unstructured play and more more boys participate. Now, organized sports is not quite the same because, you know, since women took over early childhood education, you know, everybody gets a prize, everybody has to play, yeah. and there's no competition, right? Everybody's right. got to feel good about what they're doing and so on, right? And um, I, I, I remember, you know, when I was a kid, there was uh, some whiny kid that we didn't want to play with. And, um... I I think we gave it a shot a couple of times, you know, oh, you know, he's new to the school or whatever, some whiny kid we didn't want to play with. And um, we, after a while, just sorry, it's not fun. You know, (laughs) like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry you are the way you are, but um, it's not fun when you play with us and we're here to have fun. Uh, You got to snatch your fun where you can, particularly when you're in crappy schools And, but I remember the teachers were all like, oh, include so and so, you know, make him feel wanted, make him feel included, make him, you know, and it's like, yeah, that's a very girl versus boy thing. And so, what I think that the outcome of this, and again, we're talking very generally, is that I think more boys are comfortable with criticism. And, Yeah, like, like we I went to go and see the Martian movie, uh, the movie called The Martian yesterday. And I won't get into any details, I mean we we've got a whole spoiler reel <laughs> about to come out, but uh but yeah, the way the guys talk to each other is uh yeah, you know, nobody liked you anyway kind of like a lot of that kind of jokey talk, <laughs> that jokey put down talk and um that, that is a way of, of saying I'm comfortable enough with you and I have enough respect for you to know that you're not going to take this kind of joke personally. Like you're a strong enough person to know that my affection is buried in all of this, right? Right, yeah. There's a lot of that. Whereas – there's a lot of that in sports, right? Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, so – but but it does it does condition men to be able to accept a lot of criticism and to be sensitive to, and, and it results in a lot of improvement. Like, you can spare people's feelings now or you cannot spare people's feelings now and they'll be better people for it, right?
6: Right. Yeah.
0: I so, understand. yeah, if you've got some friend who thinks he's a good singer and, you know, sounds like, uh, you know, a cat being variously hit with bolts of lightning, uh, you know, it's kind of important to say that before they go start a band or something and waste their lives.
6: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and with competition, too, you – I mean, just myself, if I'm doing something wrong – you know, um, I would like you to tell me about it. I would, you know, I don't want to be doing the same thing and thinking I'm doing it right and then I'm doing it wrong. Like watching film. Oh the yeah. Of no, I film. mean,
0: I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with don't, you. Don't, don't let me develop bad habits. I'm going to have to undo later, but stop right. me at the beginning. Right. Exactly. And the other thing too, with, with sports, there is a score and the score <laughs> don't care about your feelings. Right. Exactly. It doesn't care. You might really want to win, but you're either going to win or you're not. And um, and of course, learning how to work as a team, to be a valued teammate. You don't want to be overly team based, in which case you kind of fade into the woodwork. You're just there to facilitate everyone else's glory. But you also don't want to be the guy, you know, racing down the middle of the field, uh, you know, who then gets tackled and loses, right? Right. So it's it's a it's a real balance. Working within a team while also being committed to your own personal glory is. Um, It's a very complex. So what I'm sort of pointing out is that you've had thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of training on taking criticism, on improving, on teamwork, on providing value to other people, on ostracism, on um, uh, pursuing an objective goal called winning uh, and, and all that. And that is something that you don't want to imagine everyone has had the same level of experience with. Because that's going to be fundamentally confusing for you, right? Right. So, I guess I. Do you, I, I, and sorry, let me just ask one other okay. question before we go into the next bit. Okay. So, do you know women, uh, not just professionally, but even in your personal life, do you know women who actively seek out criticism or, or feedback and, and uh, really, really are willing to do whatever it takes to improve and say, you know, don't spare my feelings, just give me the facts?
6: No, right. I'm I'm drawing a blank. Um, I'm, try, I'm Maybe my nieces with their music, but they haven't come to me asking me for because they play in uh, play shows in their band and stuff. And only thing I can think of is maybe they do that with with the people that
0: I don't want to get into theory.
6: Yeah, that's <laughs> I just nothing. To, I got nothing. just the facts. Just the facts,
0: yeah, right? I got nothing. so because um, this is what you know. I think women could achieve a huge amount more. But they gotta submit themselves to the rough and tumble of lots of criticism and objective measures of value, because you know, I mean, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen this. You're a young guy, so it's a pretty old film, but there's a um, a very famous bit in a movie called *The League of Their Own*. Yes. With uh, Tom Hanks, you you remember the scene, right? Yes. Are you crying? Yeah. Are you? There's no crying in baseball. Right. And, and the girl oh, you yelled at me kind of thing. Right. Right. And I, the second half of that movie sucks. But the first half, I think, is fantastic. Um, despite the fact that Madonna is acting ish. But anyway, um, but but it's it's John Lovitz. Well, this would be more than <laughs> just the way he says that's fantastic. But but this there's no crying in baseball is kind of that's the male female thing. In a lot of ways. I don't think it used to be that bad. I think it's really bad now. Like I I think this is just getting worse and worse now. Because you've got such a girl-centric educational system that is so focused around all the strengths of girls. And so hostile to all the strengths of boys. That the girls basically can go through their entire education Receiving virtually no criticism. You sat very nicely today while the boys in the back punched each other with binders, you know, <laughs> like whatever, right? And so I think that this sort of putting women in the greenhouse and, you know, and so on, you've got to be able to submit yourself to very rigid and, and sometimes difficult to take criticism if you want to be good at something. And so women are like, well, I want you to focus on the feels and then they complain that they don't get to the top. Of various professions. Well, if you want to get to the top of various professions, what do you got to do? Well, you've got to be able to take the criticism that is uh, is necessary. And uh, I'll just just to sort of put this very briefly. Um, Twenty twelve study by Christopher Cornwell, head of the econ department at University of Georgia, found that boys on average scored fifteen percent lower on an assessment of non cognitive skills, engagement in class, ability to sit calmly, interpersonal skills than girls. Primary school teachers graded boys lower than girls, even though the boys scored similarly or better than the girls on standardized tests. So there's a very anti-boy prejudice uh, in, in a lot of schools, uh, in a lot of schools. Uh, the data showed that al- although boys outperform girls on math and science test goals, girls are assigned the higher grades by their teachers. Yep. I saw that study. Right? Right. So So girls are not doing as well, but they receive higher scores. That is so unfair and unjust to both boys and girls. Um, so learning styles vary. Girls absorb academic lessons by listening and looking. Many boys rely on kinesthetic learning, movement and touch to master new information. The typical classroom these days really involves moving around. Students are expected to sit still in rows of desks while the teacher delivers a lesson. <laughs> oh my God, that stuff is, is so ridiculous. I could feel the dust settling on my brain when that shit was going down uh, in school. And it's even worse for you know your generation than it was for mine because a lot of outdoor activities are gone. Uh, a lot of gym classes are gone. Even art or stuff where you're doing something visceral, not just sitting there absorbing stuff like a brain-dead sponge. Uh, so it's even worse now across schools these days. Um, of course, um, female teachers instinctively reinforce... Female behavior, fail to acknowledge or they even punish the gender-specific behaviors of boys. You know, I remember when uh, I worked in a daycare, the female teachers would be like, are those boys fighting? And I said, no, they're playing. But it looks like they're fighting. No, they're playing. They're boys. It looks like fighting because you're a girl. <laughs> but to boys, we know that they're playing. Uh, and they were all like, you got to stop that. Look at these girls. They're, they're playing pick-up sticks very nicely. It's like, because they're girls. Anyway, um, more boys get spanked uh, than uh, girls. And um, not only do boys get hit more than girls, they get hit a lot more often than uh, girls. And um, so boys receive a lot of negative feedback in school. It's unfair and it's unjust, but it does make the boys stronger in a lot of ways. And, uh, child care workers, uh, like 90, over 94% of them are women. They treat boys more poorly just because they're boys. Uh, they're incredibly sexist towards, uh, boys. And, um, uh, pr- even at two years of age, prior to the age at which boys and girls differ significantly in their play behavior, um, they're being treated worse by child care workers. And, um, there is a negative, and of course this is a lot of, you know, general male hostility towards men in society as a whole. But, um, so boys go through a lot of criticism, a lot of negative feedback, a lot, and it's it's too much and it's too harsh and so on. But one of the outcomes is that you end up running a um, a branch office at the age of 25, whereas these women in their 30s and 50s, are not and that hypersensitivity towards criticism women are constantly told when they're growing up how wonderful they are how good they are how uh, wonderful they how well they behave how nicely they're why can't you boys sit nicely like those girls um, and we've got this whole the truth about male privilege presentation which people should uh, we've got we go into this in more detail all the sources are available the truth about male privilege go check it out but so when you were a male managing women and again there are exceptions. These are generalities. But when you're in this kind of situation, I think what you're seeing is the long-term effects of um, girls who've probably grown up with everyone saying the sun shines out of their butt and they're wonderful and they're great and they're nice and they, you know, they're not uh, Huck Finn with a slingshot and they're like wonderful and so on. And so this women are wonderful effect, which perva- it's, it's all pervasive in society. I mean, you see this uh, in um, – uh, in movies, in sitcoms, you know, the women are always smarter, the guys are always idiots, and this and that and the other. And so there's a lot of uh, unreality around women. And, you know, like, like men are nagged for sitting with their legs too wide on a subway or for mansplaining, which is over-explaining things, because that's the kind of horror that women have to go through, whereas the fact that women hit children a hell of a lot more uh, than men do, well, that's fantastic. you can't talk about that because that doesn't fit the narrative. Did you say mansplaining? So, a mansplaining is is um, when a woman is knowledgeable in a subject, but a man continues to explain it as if she doesn't know as much about it as as he thinks she does. Apparently, this is mansplaining because the, the woman can't interrupt and say, "Yeah, I know all this stuff." You can move on to another topic. They just have to sit there and smile because testicle proximity <laughs> kills spine. I don't know. So third testicle. Yeah. So. I don't think you can negotiate with, you know, hypersensitive, emotionally defensive and immature people. You you can't negotiate with them because all they'll do is slide back into manipulation. And if you uh, go any further in terms of um, being assertive, they'll generally turn around and try and make your life a living hell in some way or another. Right. And so I think that uh, my, my solution when you're in these kinds of situations, if you're in an environment where you can't just fire people, which is, I think, what, you know, outside of contract, that's how kind of it should be. But I think what you need to do is say, look, I'm not going to be these people's bosses unless I have the power to hire and fire them. And, you know, that's got to be pretty clear. And then um, you also need to get, if there's an HR department, get HR to come in and sit with you while you're giving any kind of disciplinary action or any kind of negative feedback. Get someone from HR to come in and sit with you, and that way you're covered if something comes up later that's untrue okay
6: I have luckily I have my my regional like our regional boss will come in and visit, and so i can I can kind of show him this is how I handle myself in these situations if there's a mistake or something because he'll come in and review my stuff and then point out things, and I have to correct them and so i'll use and he'll see me do that, and so he knows that he knows how i'm doing it they wouldn't have given me the like he he got Help me get the
0: job so right i think he has my back. and it's also important to remember that these these sticky wickets oh, Sorry, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a britishism for my yeah. young friend but uh these uh i don't know what you'd call them uh toad in the holes like the people who are just like i've been working the same job for 30 years and you can't tell me anything about what i need to do um i don't know what what do you call people like that they just kind of they, they they take a job they sit in it and they become increasingly entitled and and resentful at anyone who tells them anything different. Knots on a log. That's the uh, the southern. Knots way on a said. log. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A knots on a log. Like you're trying to cut something. It's like. Ugh! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the sword. <laughs> sword bites or something, right? And um, those people are a necessary evil in all reasonably sized organizations because they do know a lot about what they're doing. Yes, they're resistant to change, but anybody with any brains has left them in the dust long ago. And so there is some tertiary leftover fossilized value in these things. You know, new trees are nice, really old trees give you oil. So (laughs) all I can say is that there is some organizational value to these, uh, knots in the log. Uh, and so finding a way to, uh, and also you can just give up, right? I mean, if they're doing a reasonably okay job and they're really resistant to change and they're not worth firing and, you know the other thing too. You, you guess who you're going to get to replace them. Right. Um, that can be a challenge as well because you know quality people are hard to come by. So sometimes it's worth getting seventy percent out of someone than rolling the dice with someone new because if that person is really good, then they're going to move out of that job within a year or two, and then you're going to find someone else. And so there's a you know bird in the hand worth two in the bush. Hard to say, but I think there is organizational value to these toads in the hole, but um, uh, they definitely are uh, a challenge to 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 manage.
6: So I'm uh, going to get you to evaluate what I've done so far. I kind of came <laughs> in and uh, I kind of had a, a meeting with them, as like, if you've ever watched a video of, of what a head football coach would do when he comes and takes over a team, kind of pulls them together and just says, Hey, you know, here's what I want to do. Here's where we're at. Here's where I want to go. Here's how we're going to get there. That kind of thing. And yeah. I had interviews with them individually behind closed doors to kind of Ask them if what what they thought about it so far, how they felt about the branch, because there were some issues with the previous leadership. But, I, you know, I tried to get them in just so that I cared about them and cared about their growth. But I also told them that I was going to be correcting them a lot and fixing stuff and that they didn't need to take it personally and that was, I was doing it to help them. So right. is that something that you? I mean, what do you what do you think about that?
0: Well, you certainly need the um, support of senior management no matter what you do. Right. Right. So if you can get senior management on your side and you can sit down frankly and say, look, I would, write for these, I would like for these people to do something more efficient, but they're really resistant and they take it very personally whenever I suggest doing something better. What are your suggestions? Have you ever done? Like get a mentor, or get someone who knows the organization because everybody who's risen up, if they're not the son of the owner put in the CEO position out of nepotism, then um, what happened, uh, what what generally happens is uh, they've had to deal with people like this before. They may have some good advice and so on. Um, I certainly wouldn't hold back or lower your standards when it comes to people. I mean, I've had significant confrontations with difficult employees throughout my career. And, um, you know, like... Yeah, and like I big, big, scary people who are yelling at me and stuff. And and you just have to, that's why you get the big bucks, right? That's why you get the authority is because you can do productive things and, and things that are for the good of the company as a whole um, with difficult people. Um, if everybody was easy to manage, managers wouldn't get paid very much, right? It's got to right. be difficult in order for people. And so I would, I certainly wouldn't want to back down from confrontations. So make suggestions if they're ever rude. Uh, particularly if they're ever rude to you in public, uh, that needs to be dealt with right away. And you simply, because as soon as you let someone get away with disrespecting you, uh, in, in, particularly in front of other people, it's going to erode the cohesion of the whole team. Um, you know, it's like if you're, again, to take the football analogy, if, if someone tells the, the coach to go screw himself, well, what does the coach do? Yeah, you're getting benched. Well, yeah, you're in a you're in a world of hurt, right? Because the coach can't he can't just say, okay, well, I'll I'll go cry in the coach room, right? And so you definitely don't want to let people get away with stuff, because when they get away with stuff, it lowers the morale of the whole team, and then not just one person is showing you disrespect, but eventually everyone's going to show that. And um, if the refs let stuff go, the play generally gets rougher. You need those kind of constraints and those kind of feedback mechanisms. But uh, with with difficult people, it's always good to have somebody else in the room when you're giving them uh, this kind of feedback because what you're saying is no plotting, right? Because when you have difficult people in your life, the moment you give them negative feedback, their general tendency is to stop plotting. And because you're busy and they're single-minded, they can be a challenge that way. So when you have other people in the room, someone from HR in the room, when you give them negative feedback (laughs) – what you're saying is i got backup there with me they understand and you can't lie about this meeting later okay yeah that makes that's good uh, good advice all right that's it
6: yeah i'm i'm trying to think if there's anything cuz i came to you because sometimes I, the guys that they like me a lot i'm kind of like their little I, i've spent a lot of time with them and um they kind of talk to me i, I don't know what I don't know how to explain it. It's kind of like a good old boy talk where you're not really going to get quality advice, objective advice. So that's why I was like, I want to see what – Do what you feel is right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They just tell me to suck it up and
0: fix it. Yeah. So, no, and and I hope – I mean, again, this is just me throwing stuff over a wall hoping I hit something useful, but – uh, yeah, I, I have found that as a manager, you, you s- particularly disrespect, that is one of the most toxic things that can happen. Um, if people lose respect for you as a manager, you're done. I mean, it might be a long and slow, painful done, but you're done. Uh, like you can't be the coach if, if everybody rolls their eyes when the coach starts talking and whether you do that through inspiration or fear, you know, one or the other, but, um, yeah, so, you know, don't, um, don't back out And don't back down, but don't engage and escalate. You know, just give people the feedback, have somebody there in the room, and uh, let everyone know. Because look, the other coworkers are pretty much as annoyed as you are at these people, I'm sure. And if they see you handling them in a positive and decisive manner, uh, their respect for you will only increase. Never show fear as a manager. Uh, and, And if somebody challenges you, you have to escalate until they comply or they're gone.
6: Okay. Yeah, that that's happened today. That happened today in the the individual meetings. I had, I said, well, you know, what's you got anything you need to tell me like about what's going on in the branch, and that was one of the the things was, another the, one of the other employees.
0: Okay, all right. Well, listen, uh, keep keep us posted if there's anything else that I can do that might be helpful. I'm certainly happy to help, and uh, I really appreciate the trust that you are. Uh, um Uh, are showing by by calling in and um, you know hopefully this doesn't end up with you living in a cardboard box cursing my name with every (laughs) waking breath i'll let you know i don't all right thanks man keep us posted Uh, thanks appreciate it all right who do we have next
1: all right up next is paul paul wrote in and said recent news concerning mars has made the possibility of extraterrestrial life sedient or microbial a more likely reality how far will or should the human race extend the right to life for alien life? That's from Paul.
0: I just hope they extend the right to life to us. Uh, because I, as, far, as, as far as all the science fiction movies I've seen, we're extraordinarily tasty addition to the galactic menu of consumption. Um, are you there? Oh, Excellent. I'm <laughs> Now just in a room talking to myself. Are you oh, there, right. Paul? well i don't I don't need him to i can just give a very brief answer to this so the the right to life um you don't have to think about space aliens because there's a big a broad continuum in in human life right Of people with an i q of fifty and people with an i q of one hundred and fifty people with an i q of one hundred and fifty as a proxy for intelligence clearly are morally responsible and and so on um Uh, The people who at some point when you go down in terms of non-functionality of the brain, at some point people can no longer live on their own and they need to surrender their independence for the sake of having people cook for them or having people take them to the doctor and so on. And when you surrender your independence then you surrender some of what are generally called your rights, right? So if you're not smart enough to live on your own, you have to live in an assisted living facility, then you may not have the right to go and roam about at will with uh, fistfuls of cash and so on. So uh, I would say that um, uh, we would generally want to extend to all organisms who show the capacity to engage in a social contract and a social contract right who who understand concepts who understand virtue and um uh microbes wouldn't count obviously but uh, where aliens um would have the capacity to understand law to understand morality to understand a social contract uh, then we would assume that they would be as competent as reasonably intelligent people and then would give them full uh, rights and again, we don't usually have to worry. I mean, the, the way that, that the space aliens are going to show up is with them all, right? <laughs> we don't have to worry about that because uh, it's the traders who are going to get here. Uh, and uh, they're going to get here in order to trade. And uh, it's only the free market that is going to produce the kinds of uh, technological advances that will result in interplanetary or interstellar space travel. We'd need interstellar. I don't think there's much useful stuff going on on um, <laughs> Uranus or anything like that. Can you hear me now? But... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so they're going to show up as traders. It's going to be this giant, flashy mall, and we're going to get the coolest stuff in the known universe in exchange for um, putting our children in a giant cooking pot. Um, right.
5: Um, my question okay. is a little bit less on the sentient side. That was more just for play and enjoyable conversation. Um, I'm a bit, I think, a more realistic approach is that when we start exploring Mars a lot more than we are right now, we are going to find microbial life, you know, little tiny. Crappy little things eating at dirt. So my question is more of how much right to life, or how much uh, effort do we go to to ensure that life exists? Because what do you mean that life exists? Well, for instance, like black mold is very harmful to us. If we find it in our house, we instantly go and you know clean it. We apply. Oh no! Listen, man. No one.
0: No one. Listen, listen, listen. Like uh, this is this isn't that complicated. Then no one is going to bring alien microbes back to earth in anything but like a giant space vault, right? Right. Because gene incompatibility is a very serious issue in human life. Um, you know, so people who've evolved resistance to malaria can survive in Africa and people who haven't tend to die like, like dogs. And, um, in Europe, because Europe is a squalid sex, fucking mess of (laughs) gene horror, Uh, Europeans have very tough immune systems, whereas uh, in in the new world, right, uh, they didn't have these same levels of resistance to things like smallpox, tuberculosis and so on. And so there was this huge exchange, you know, Westerners come over and infect the locals and with with uh, all kinds of god awful diseases and 90 to 95 percent of the natives died because uh, stuff which Europeans didn't get killed by went and killed them. Like, it's insane. Like, and, of course, because they'd, they'd run away, oh, my gosh, they're sick. Let's run away and let's go to some new place. Hey, great. Now you're an agent of spreading death. And this <laughs> happened, um, you know, Cortez and his crew of 500 took out, most of, took out most of the Incan civilization. And they didn't do that because they were really good with a crossbow. They did that because they came across mostly dead bodies from European diseases. And the same thing has happened, you know, on a fed regular basis with a wide variety of, of contacts between civilizations. So, you know, uh, you know, nobody is going to be like, hey, I'm bringing home a whole bunch of Martian mold and a Ziploc. Let's just open it in my basement and see what's going to happen. There's simply no way that that's going to happen. So I don't think we need to worry about wiping out like we're going to leave it there. I mean, it's not going to bring it home and kill it.
5: Right, but then there's also the reverse situation. We go there, we bring a ton of different organisms with us, whether we want to or not, and this is actually something called forward contamination, where something we actually bring could alter and or destroy them because they can't compete. Sure. And that's sure sort of where I thought the basis of uh the coming, you know, maybe in the century or so when we actually discover it and we're colonizing Mars maybe. You know, all of a sudden they go, wait, stop. All our microorganisms are killing Mars. Backtrack, we can't colonize Mars anymore. It's like, well. Oh,
0: I, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I, it's a very abstract and complicated question. And it's not something that's likely to be part of human conversation for decades. So it's not very high on my list of priorities. Right. But what I will say is that uh, I, I'd like to go to Mars. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is that you've got to stay in a spacesuit or at least some sort of protective device in Mars. The air is too thin and and uh, uh, and so on, and so uh, and not breathable by people. So there's going to be a fair amount of contamination containment uh, just because uh, you've got to stay in this stuff. You know, maybe you open and close the airlock; the few things will come in and out. But uh, you know, sorry, Martian spores, but human beings like to explore. Uh, I'd like it if it was a free market environment, then all that because. I don't know what economic value there is in going to Mars and back, other than tourism, which is going to take a little while, given that it's like 12 light minutes away from Earth. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, sorry, human beings are going to explore, and um, you know, sorry uh, to the Native Americans, but uh, Europeans like to explore, and sorry to the Europeans, but there's god awful stuff in in Africa. Like Africa is just this hotbed of of demonic stuff, right? I mean, the, these bees in Africa are like insane. The bees in Africa, like you walk past their hive and they will chase you for upwards of two miles and try and sting you to death. Like, Africa is such a hotbed of violent uh, vegetation and, and insect activity and microbe activity that, that, that even the fucking honeybees are, are, are homicidal. I mean, it's just a monstrous, monstrous environment for, for that. And because there's so many resources, so much sunshine that uh, yeah, only the fiercest generally survive so uh you know even even the even the gentle honeybees which just buzz around prettily in english gardens are like part of a gang culture in africa fuck you up man <laughs> you look at me funny and uh, so yeah like you know human beings like to explore and they bring with them microbes and shit goes down and you know throughout history this has happened uh, pretty continuously you know like Hey, let's go trade with uh, India and China. And then with the rats on the ship, come back the Black Plague, or the Black Death. And, you know, uh, half of Europe gets wiped out in successive waves over 100 years. So um, obviously, people will try and be cautious. They'll try and take as much um, uh, as many precautions as possible. But, you know, we are a restless species. There's a reason why we won the race to live uh, in uh, heated houses. Uh, so, uh, we are going to, uh, we are going to keep exploring and I think people will do their very best. Uh, stuff is going to happen and it could happen both ways. Uh, It could wipe out people or people could wipe out local, but you know, we explore and, um, I, I don't know what else to say.
5: Um, well, part of, I tried to do some research to see if there was any precedent for anything that could happen like this and about the closest I could come to was, uh, endangered species protection. Where you know, if it's not really a pest or anything, species are you know uh, reviewed to see if they deserve protections, and then from that point on, you cannot take action that injures them. Um, but it seemed like anything that was remotely insect or microbial, it never applied to. It was you know, yeah. like cute fluffy Look, puppies. this, this stuff uh, happens,
0: and yeah, this stuff happens, and shit survives, right? Like, so there was this um, in uh, the nineteen. 19- 50s in uh, australia there was this sugar crop and the sugar crop had this grub and this grub was uh, attacking the sugar crop and causing a lot of damage to farmers so the government decided to step in and help and what they did was they went to hawaii and they got a bunch of cane toad frogs i think they're called now or something like that and they brought these frogs over uh, Toads, toad sorry they brought these toads over and the toads were supposed to eat the grubs that were eating the sugar cane crops And uh, what happened? Well, exactly what you would imagine happened. These frogs apparently breed about 40,000 eggs a day. (laughs) And they just they took over. Uh, They took over completely. Uh, They're everywhere. And, you know, people have found a way to survive it and and all that. But yeah, there's and and the sad thing is they didn't even end up eating any of the grubs (laughs) uh, that were eating the sugar cane. Uh, and cause a lot more damage to other kinds of crops the same things happen with australia when they introduced rabbits and and without natural predators and so it just went insane and and the rabbits bred like well as they do like rabbits and you know everything's still standing and we're all still alive or at least a lot of us are so um yeah it's stuff's going to happen i think reasonable precautions will be made but uh you know we are a restless and exploratory species and um you know, at some point, uh, our Captain Kirk's are going to want to get with the chicks with nine tentacles uh, coming out of their boobs, and uh, nothing's going to stop us. All right, going to move on to the next caller. Thank you very much for the question. Let's get the last one in for the night. Thank you. Man.
1: All right. Devin is up, and he wrote in and said, Will an objective methodology resolve disputes that are holding back world peace? And that's from Devon.
0: Yeah, I don't quite understand the question, but I, it sounds like an interesting one. Hi hi
4: Yeah, so i'm just wondering like about like world peace um you know i was listening to some other uh, call Colin show and some guy was talking about world peace and then you know you were saying you mentioned about objective methodology like may you please elaborate elaborate on that
0: <laughs> well yeah so i mean it's the question is around diversity right and diversity is multiculturalism one of these weird things because if uh if everyone's the same then there's no such thing as multiculturalism there's no such thing as diversity however if you judge another group as being different from yourself then you're a racist or a bigot or something like that right it's just one of these stupid paradoxes that the left generally sets up to trap decent people and so If you have an accepted methodology for resolving disputes, like in the scientific community in general, at least in a free market scientific community, there's an objective methodology called the scientific method. In free trade, there's an objective methodology for resolving the ownership of goods and services, and it's called price. If I think I'm worth X and other people don't want to pay for it, then I get to keep whatever it is, right? Like If I I make a bunch of ashtrays and I think they're worth a million dollars – I guess I'm going to end up keeping a whole bunch of ashtrays, whereas if I make a bunch of Maseratis and sell them for eight bucks, then I'm going to end up with no Maseratis and, you know, a whole fistful of eight dollar bills. And so you have price, you have uh, reason uh, in in philosophy is supposed to be what dominates uh, uh, logic in math, uh, structural integrity in engineering and uh, empiricism. Uh, and uh, verifiability, reproducibility, in the scientific method. These are all objective methodologies. And then it's like, hey, if we all agree to be scientists, I don't care where you come from, come and contribute, right? You can be uh, black, white, African, Icelandic, it doesn't matter. As long as we all agree on this methodology, let's have as much diversity as humanly possible. On the other hand, if people don't agree on a methodology, then diversity is just a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for endless conflict, endless war, uh, endless um, uh, attempts to grab the state to impose your will on others. Diversity in the absence of objectivity is a fragmentary and then people pick up those fragments and cut each other with them (laughs) repeatedly. And so um, diversity of thought, great. Diversity of superstition, disaster. And so uh, I think if we can get people to act and think and behave in a more rational manner, or at least accept the authority of reason, then we can have as much diversity as we want. But where there is not an objective methodology for resolving disputes, diversity is disaster.
4: Politics is definitely holding back uh, world peace, like all these politicians, like, let them do something more productive, you know, (laughs) instead of, you know, just dominating other people. And yeah but
0: but politics is really just an effect yeah no but politics just an effect of of uh it's it's really all about the parenting right if if parents raise children to respect reason and evidence then politicians will lose their power which is why the politicians want kids in government schools so um it's, certainly politics are a big problem but politics um require nationalism and usually require people to believe in the superstitions of statism or religion and those superstitions are not implanted by politicians they're generally implanted by parents and this is why i keep nagging parents uh, as the key to making the world a better place Uh, so the way it manifests itself is in politics but the origin of it is um you know you don't want to make you don't want to mistake the tumor for the smoking right i mean because you can cut out the tumor but if the person keeps smoking this they're probably going to sick again
4: yeah that's what it boils down to parenting like there sh- there needs to be bare parenting out there and it's getting better. I consider myself an optimist and thinks it's getting better slowly you know and uh yeah and I heard you're gonna write- you're writing your book on parenting right it's uh yeah we've got
0: uh, we've got the first half done, and uh, we're just waiting for a break in uh, news urgency and the stuff that we kind of have to do to get new listeners and grow the show like to do the um uh the, the science and the studies and uh, all of these statistical crunching and the verification of all that so yeah the first part in terms of theory has been done but the actual data to make the case uh is uh on its way <laughs> at the moment uh i've just veered off and have started writing another book at the moment um advice your dad should have given you kind of stuff and uh so, uh, we'll be working on, I'll be working on that cause that's a little bit faster, but yeah, we'll get back to the parenting thing probably over the long bleak winter.
4: Oh, excellent. I look forward to uh, reading, uh, that book and the book you're currently writing right now.
0: All right. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate that. Um, I'm sorry to, to be a little short, feel free to call back in. Uh, I'm just running a little low on uh, energy. I had a pretty early morning for a variety of reasons so to get a bunch of stuff done. So I'm going to close the showdown for tonight. I just wanted to say thank you so much, everyone for calling in. It is an incredible pleasure, honor and um, privilege to be able to speak so openly about stuff that's important to, to all of you. And I hope that uh, everyone else finds it as useful as I do. I also hope that people appreciate how tough it is to call in and talk about difficult personal stuff in such a public forum. So thank you so much, everyone for calling in freedom slash donate to help out the show. And have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful night, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.